here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crage. <laughs> who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. Like in, the, in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I'm Rich Grace alongside, as always, the king of banter and a well-reasoned and well-explained man, Mr. Joe Lanz. I screwed that up. I'm sorry. Will you ever forgive me? It's better than you usually do. So yeah, it's not, not bad. I was going well, to go with the hardcore wrestling intelligentsia, and then I went with the uh, the, the reason and well-explained man or whatever, and I just messed it up, but it's fine. But We haven't done the reason and well-explained man in a while. So. And I tried, I tried to bring it back, and then I failed, so now I'm just going to put it away again. Like, now I I, know, I got the yips again. Like, that's not... I'm done with that one. That, that one's not... I, like, King of Banter I got all the time. That one's good. I think that one's a classic as well. And then, you know, the I, I've been enjoying the... Uh, the leader of the hardcore wrestling intelligentsia, but I thought I would at least change a little bit. No, no one's called you any names recently, right? Ever since we started blocking people, I feel like <laughs> you've been pretty good. Not once right? I want to advertise, but <laughs> right. not once I'm proud of. But uh, but but no, the answer is, is no. The answer is yes, but the answer is no. Also no. The answer is yes, but also no. But uh, yes, yeah, it should be a pretty fun show today. We got a lot to talk about. We uh, first are kind of our banter part of our show where we always kind of start off, to, you know, chit chatting randomness. Uh, this last week we said we had some homework to do. So at the end of the, the show last week, um, we were talking about Darby Allen and Walter. That was a show, a, a match that you hadn't seen that I had seen. So we kind of shelved that. We were going to talk about it this week. You wanted me to watch Phoenix and Kevin Nario. And then there was also uh, a, a few other things that we had some little homework to do, um, the, you know, matches that we had to watch. So let's kind of catch up with that as well. Uh, Jordan Devlin, Will Ospreay from Progress is the one. And then there was a little other stuff we wanted to talk about, but really those three matches were our quote unquote homework. What we're going to lead this week's show off. Phoenix slash King Phoenix versus Kevin Ario, uh, Jordan Devlin uh, versus Will Ospreay from Progress 72, and then Walter Darby Allen from Evolve 106. That was our homework this week. Joe, I, I suspect you did your homework. You were a good little boy. Yeah, I was a terrible student, but I, but I did do my homework. <laughs> um, <laughs> were you so, a bad so, was, well, I, I mean, I assume I know the answer already. I already know the answer, but you were, were you a terrible student in school? I was a terrible student. Absolutely. Absolute minimum effort to get by. That, that explains a lot. Yeah, I mean, that explains... I mean, every week is, is basically minimal effort on the show, so that's fine. I get oh! It. No, that's... that's So, but you weren't, like, you knew the stuff. Were you, like, that too-cool-for-school kind of kid? Like, you were... Because I, I know I you're not the, a dumb guy. I know you're a relatively smart guy, but you were more of the, like, this is stupid. Relatively smart. Um, I I was the too-cool-for-school <laughs> guy. I had no interest in it. Um, You'd rather so smoke did... in the bathroom or whatever, right? You didn't smoke, but obviously, you know. Not much of a smoker. You probably hung but, out with uh, the kids that smoked in the bathroom, right? 
this. No, I actually didn't. I, I was I was a um, I was a jock in high school. Um, I don't believe which that. which which my <laughs> my my bad grades cost me because I did get thrown off the football team um, due to poor performance in the classroom. Uh, very stringent coach. Uh, but, that means uh, you weren't very good at football, Joe. That's all right. But uh, we had an old school uh, coach who who uh, took that shit very fucking sick. the football coach anyway. The other sports nobody cared, um, but the football coach, yeah, he'd throw your ass off, and uh, and he did. Um, but I was also an out of control, um, not follow the playbook middle linebacker who just blitzed every play. <laughs> Not a bad strategy. Of, yeah, instead of following, uh, you know, my assignments. Right, which uh, as a middle linebacker, very often is like cover the middle of the field. And Joe, you were not interested in doing that at all, right? Oh, it was horrible. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> you want to yeah. get the sack? I'm not was, tip ball. Who gives a shit about a tip ball or maybe an interception? I want to get that sack. Maybe. I was a chase the ball, uh, you know, middle linebacker, which was not the scheme. Um, but you know, none of that mattered uh, to me. But uh, to answer your question, yeah, I, I was. You know what I was? I was the guy who. When it came to uh, schoolwork, I was the one who figured out the mathematical computation. I'm like, all right, well, let's see. If I dog it all year and get a C in this class, if I ace the midterm and the final exam, can I get it up to a B for the final? Like I was that guy. I would do the math and figure out exactly what I had to do to get the grades to a respectable level. Uh, and then I would uh, then I would do that instead of busting my ass all year. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right, yeah. Or doing so, like... Doing like you know the minimal effort the rest of the year and then not having to worry like instead you were like you were you were absolutely dirt worst effort the rest of the year but then like come midterms or whatever then you would have to bust your ass and do this yeah I was the opposite I, I stayed on the fringes pretty much the entire time like I I did the little shit you know the extra credit stuff that because I didn't really care about like really studying for like midterms and whatnot so those I would do like okay on but I would I would make my money on like all the other stuff the rest of the year which I think actually is probably a better strategy but you know I, I appreciate your strategy too. Yeah, but but then I'd be sweating out the final. Right, and I don't want to do that because like finals are annoying and like tests can sometimes be weird. So like I would do every little weekly dumb assignment, every extra credit, all that stuff. So when final came, I would just not even care. And if I got to see on the final, well, whatever, not going to matter. I cheated so hard on my uh, my senior. What was it? Trigonometry. What's the math you take as a senior? Trigonometry, right? Uh, see, I was pretty horrible at math, <laughs> so I, I I think it was. I think it was trig. I might have like got. I might have been so bad that actually, I, no, yeah, it was trig, and then I was able to find out a loophole that I could get out of it. So I got out of it, and I just took like an English. Oh, class. so you finagled so. And, and you you took like um, you, instead of taking trig, you took like algebra three or some shit, so, right? And only like half like, a year. I found out halfway through the, the the semester that I didn't actually need that for some reason. Right. I don't know why. I guess for like my college or whatever I was going to to major in, they were like, oh, we don't require that. So the second I found out that I didn't have to take math anymore. I went to the counselor and was like, yep, I'm done with math. That's not happening anymore. Smart math. And moved on to something else. So, yeah, because I'm not Very doing smart. fucking math. Yeah, fuck math. And once you get past, like, trig, math becomes theory and not even numbers anymore. It's fucking ridiculous. You ever take, like, um, you know, those math courses where it's like, you're not even doing numbers. It's like, it's like, I don't even know why they call it math. But anyway, it was either trig or it was some... Whatever you take, see whatever math you yeah, take. Yeah, because you're past, you're past, you're past uh, geometry because geometry is like uh, for right. us was like sophomore year or whatever. Yeah, probably probably yes. trigonometry or, or calculus if you were a smart. It, boy, it like, might have been cal- it was one and I don't know. I think it, I don't think I took calculus. It had to be trig. So I was anyway. gonna say I don't think they're gonna put you in a calculus class if you're. <laughs> you know, no, you. I, I think it was. I, let's stick with the. I think it was trigonometry. So anyway, I'm taking this this trig final, and I cheated so hard on that. I sat next to this kid who I knew was gonna ace the fucking thing, and I blatantly did the old school look over his fucking shoulder, 
copy his answers with the number two pencil into the fucking Scantron sheet. And uh, I think I got like a fucking B minus or some shit on the final, which is exactly what I need needed to get the, uh, you know, the average up to like a fucking C plus or whatever for the year that I wanted. But, uh, but yeah, I know Joe Lanza when he doesn't, I, I, I will teach these children the complete opposite of what I did in terms of uh, <laughs> approaching schoolwork. So they're not cheating on trigonometry finals, uh, their senior year, uh, like it's life or death, uh, you know, to get into their, you know, dopey college of choice or whatever. But, one uh, uh, one but, thing that happened with us is, so we had the, like the, the Texas instrument, like the pretty fancy, like calculators or whatnot. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what, how fancy they were in your day, Joe. I know we're not, uh, I'm not, that's not an old joke either. Like they, they progressed, you know, the, the calculators in a while. So I had like the TI 83 or something like that. And that had a thing where you could like make scripts in it. So you could like basically essentially make like, like a word doc, like you could make a word doc on your calculator or whatever. So that was, that was the cheating thing of choice, like especially in math class, which I need. I didn't use it for anything else because obviously I'm not going to pull out a calculator in like, you know, English class or whatever. But like math class is perfect. I could, you know, kind of semi cheat or whatever, throw the stuff in that, you know, script or whatever. We had one teacher. I, I will never forget this. It was our final. And this was one of those classes where, you know, I wasn't doing great. So I kind of needed this final to do it. He walked up to every single person's calculator and did factory resets on. Ed. He had like a little like wow. bobby pin or whatever, and knew that if you hit the back of this thing, it would do factory resets. And I'm just like, oh my god! I was just hoping that maybe he would like not do mine right, or he'd like forget, or he'd be like, hey, Rich, you're kind of cool. I'm not going to do it to you because obviously you wouldn't cheat. But man, he went one by one, and th- this took like 25 minutes too, like one by one. Factory resetting everyone's calculator. You could just see the horror because because it kind of get gotten passed around that like oh you can do this pretty easily. You could easily copy with your friends or whatever. So we had like figured this all out, and then he must have known or he just knew that something was up. One by one, reset, reset, reset to everyone's calculators. It was awful, and then it was a geometry. I, I did horrible because I didn't study. Because why would you study? I got all the answers right here. It was it was it was a yeah, bloodbath. He, he got burned the year before everybody turned <laughs> right. in an A. So he he said, "Fuck it, you not never again." You know, I'm resetting these fucking things. Um, but he's kind of like know. young, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you have those old teachers, and they don't have any fucking clue about it. They they can't work the fucking projector. They can't work anything. The VCR never works. Like, but he was like, you know, 31 or whatever. So he knew that the the you know, like he yeah. he had probably done that in high school. He had probably done that in college. It wasn't right. your old crusty tenured high school teacher that has been there forever and doesn't really. This guy knew that, like, hey, you assholes are going to cheat on these things. So I, I got you. I'm, I'm one step ahead of you, assholes. So that was this that guy was great. cared about you learning. Right. That's right. He did. Yeah. He wasn't just like I got, I got tenure. I don't give a fuck. Do whatever yeah. you want. Like, it's not some dude coasting, you know, two years from retirement, making two hundred ten grand a year, just waiting to fucking retire. Who doesn't give a shit? Uh, this was someone who cared still. So you got fucking beat. That's yeah. terrible. What a shame. <laughs> it was bad, but uh, it all worked out. I, I guess my life turned out okay, even though I hate math. From now on, but uh, well, listen, you, you don't fucking need it anymore. Nah. I mean, when do you sit there? Yeah, when's the last time you did long division? Fuck, I mean, let's never. be honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I do a lot of you stuff know? on Excel now. I actually like, but that would have been if I had learned how like how to use Excel as opposed to like sitting in my pen. Like, yeah, long division. Who? Why, why would I ever ever need that again? Like, yes, well, I, I have. They, I think or, they or teach ahead. shit like Excel now, don't they? Isn't that isn't that what they teach now in high school? I I have no clue. They should. They should definitely teach that and 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 proper tip amounts would be all I pretty much need at this point in my life is like how to tip on a bill, even though it's very easy. I still have like the oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, and like you know hide under my you know I get my phone calculator out just in case, just to make sure I have the numbers right or whatnot. Because I can't, I'm like that. Just I can't even. And then like I don't yeah, know Excel why you guys. Great. I don't know why people stress about tipping. Just fucking wing it. No, throw a number oh on god. there. Estimate no. hot. Give me a give me a bill. Go ahead, throw a number at me. 
Thirty-five, eighteen. Throw them twelve bucks. There you go. You're done. You walk out. <laughs> What's the problem? You know. You, meanwhile, you're taking out your calculator. You're fucking around. You're sweating. Just fucking twelve bucks and, and walk out. You know what I mean? I, I, actually, I actually works, just huh? had. I was so stressed out by you saying twelve dollars. I looked at the math right now. That is an exorbitant tip, Joe. I, that that had a great service. I, I'm a heavy tipper though because I'm in the industry. Right, so right. I, you're, you got that's like a fifty percent tip. Like we're like we're we're approaching fifty percent tip there. Twelve on thirty five. Right, yeah, we you got? weren't yeah. bad at math, my friend. You weren't you weren't lying. You're terrible at math. Yeah, because that's not fifty percent. Uh, you know that's it's more like what you know, forty around forty or so. Oh, even under. Yeah, it's like thirty three percent. That's a lot. I'm not it made of a, money it, like you, Joe. I'm not made of money like you, Joe. I can't. Uh... It's a big tip, but here's the thing: the way I look at it. If, if you can't give an appropriate tip, stay home and make peanut butter and jelly. You know, it's it's like just, it, it, what is it? It's 12 bucks. What are you going to do with that 12 bucks? You know, it's, uh, you had a nice night. You went out, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I see, I don't stress about the tip. I just throw a number on it. Yeah, just, and that's fine. Like, I, I stress about under tipping. That's my thing. Like, I, I don't really yeah. ever care if I over tip, but I'm always worried that, like, they open that thing and they're like, really, $5, you know, like $5? They look at me and then, like, I just know the next time, like, even though they, there's no chance in hell they'll probably remember me if I ever go back there. Like, I, I have it in my mind where I walk in and they're like, oh, here's this guy. <laughs> like, this guy tip five. And I'm like, and like, even if I gave them $20 tip the next time, they're always going to remember the $5 tip or whatever. So, yeah. You don't want to be guy that they talk about because I could tell you that does happen. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that maybe, maybe it would kind of, even if I went, even if it was two months apart, somebody would be like, ah, I think I remember that guy. I gave shitty tips. Fuck that guy. And oh, I don't want to be that Oh, they'll, they'll remember. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Servers got long memories. They'll remember. No question about it. Um, but yeah, so our for homework wrestling. for the show. Uh, so I saw the Cavanario, uh King Phoenix, which is the Phoenix slash Ray Phoenix that most people are familiar with. Uh, you saw the Darby Allen Walter, and neither one of us saw the Jordan Devlin Will Ospreay. So uh, why don't we start with the Jordan Devlin Will Ospreay? Why don't we start with the match that neither one of us saw? Now, this was on Progress 72, which, by the way, uh, might as well plug it. Progress is doing a seven-day free trial. It's still going on because I did it today because um, I was not an active subscriber. So uh, you know you can if if you want to if you can you can uh, sign up for the service, watch this fucking match, and then immediately cancel and watch the match for free. Of course, obviously, what they're banking on is people trying out the seven-day free trial, liking what they see, and sticking with it, or trying out the uh, you're signing up for the seven-day free trial with every intent to cancel forgetting to cancel <laughs> right and then I, i'm probably gonna have progress until like september now until i remember that or actually have enough effort to cancel even though it does not take any effort to cancel i'll probably just have it until september now because that's fine but if you've never uh checked out demand progress it's a uh, it's an excellent service mm-hmm. um and it's not just progress you've got aw you've got defy you've got a couple different um australian promotions on there including melbourne city wrestling I think EPW is the other one. Um, there's a number of other promotions too, so it's actually not just progress, which wouldn't be that bad for $7.49 a month. Honestly, I think that's what it is, $7.49 a month. Um, you know, that that wouldn't be that bad, honestly, if it, even if it was just progress, but you get all of those other promotions too. Uh, Smash Wrestling is another one that's on there. Um, there's stuff from the High Spots Network. Uh, Lucha Forever, uh, you know, so some of the other smaller European promotions. Um, so let's see, there's a total, uh, including progress, there's four, eight, 12, there's fifth, there's uh 15 total promotions, um, with at least, you know, one show on the, uh, on the demand progress service. But anyway, 
Um, I did see the uh, the Osprey Devil match. Rich, did you do your homework? You're all over me. I mean, oh yeah, of course I did. Okay. No, I was a good little boy. I did all my homework. So, uh, I guess I don't know. I guess I'll talk about this one first. I fucking love this. Uh, people had talked it up. They said it was incredible. They weren't lying. And what I loved about the Willow Spray Jordan Devlin match was, to me, while it wasn't, uh, you know, the best bell to bell match I've seen this year. It was very good. Don't get me wrong. It was an excellent match. Uh, perfectly executed. Um, it had other things about it that that pushed it from very good to great in my mind. Number one, um, Willow Spray working as a cocky heel in front of that crowd. He's just incredible, and he was incredible here, too. Number two, it was one of those matches where Devlin loses, but he gets over and losing, uh, you know, every bit as much as, as Ospreay did in winning. Ospreay doesn't need to get over. Yeah, if not more. If not more, actually. But I thought that loss did a ton for Devlin um, uh, in, in particular. And, and you know, and the other thing was, aside from telling a great bell-to-bell story, and that Devlin's trying to beat this, you know, this company icon and all those sorts of things. They told a good bigger picture promotional story as well, because there was a great sequence in the middle of the match. Where Will Ospreay is ripping off all of Jimmy Havoc's moves to stick it to Jimmy Havoc. He's been feuding with Jimmy Havoc forever, especially, you know, in progress. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people would argue that feud put both of those guys on, you know, on the, on the worldwide map. Um, so, you know, he's, he's throwing the acid rainmaker. He's doing, you know, Havoc's other, and he's doing that to stick it to Havoc and to stick it to those fans who, you know, are behind Havoc in that, in that rivalry. So there was a ton going on in the match and it was a perfectly executed match with a lot of innovation, state of the art work. And I just came away from this match. Like, holy shit. I just saw something, uh, truly great. Uh, best progress match I've seen in some time. I have not been a fan of the Travis Banks title run. Um, I think progress shows have, have sort of gone downhill over the last year or so in terms of, uh, you know, top to bottom shows, uh, overall show quality. But uh, this match blew me away. I thought it was tremendous. And Jordan Devlin is someone who, um, you know, had the horrible first go around in the first WWE UK tournament. I think everyone would agree that he did not deliver. Um, you know, in that scenario, I thought he was much better this year. I thought he had a really good match with Flash Morgan Webster. And I thought he had a uh, borderline match of the year contender here against Will Ospreay. So Devlin is a guy who has been impressing me as of late. And uh, and, and this was not, you know, it, it, I you know, I didn't talk a lot about Devlin, but this was not just a Will Ospreay you know, carry job or Will Ospreay. Um, we all know how great he is. Devlin was every bit as good. I mean, he was... He was tremendous in his role, and, and the match was really perfectly executed. So I loved it. Uh, what did you think of the match? Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it as well. And I think the way that you described it is, is, is perfect. Is like bell to bell, I don't know that this is a match that I'm saying is definitely a match of the year contender, or one that you absolutely have to you know go out of your way to see because you're not going to believe what you're going to you know you're not going to believe the match and it's unbelievable and it's all that. It was one that was very good. It was obviously well worked and and and, and super enjoyable because both these guys are are, are are solid and and Will Ospreay. I mean, yeah, we, we we've been saying it time and time again this year that we don't have to say anything more about him and Devlin is, is a guy that I, I've started to appreciate a little bit more as of late. And I think he's grown a little bit more as well. Like I've, you know, there, there was a couple years ago where people saying, Hey, this guy, look, you know, look for this guy, look for this guy. And, and he was still a little rough around the edges, still getting there. And he's still pretty young, right? I forget what his age is off the top of my head, but he's still a pretty young dude. You can start to see things coming together a little bit. Like this match in particular, this is probably, I, I've seen him maybe a couple times this year already. This is the best I have ever seen. I mean, this was super smooth his work throughout. I mean, almost more smooth than Will Ospreay, which is impossible to do. You know what I mean? Like, Will Ospreay is a guy who's so good at making things look 
you know, at times effortless and so good at getting from one move to the other or whatever. Devlin was awesome in this match of just like popping out of nowhere and doing something you would never expect or whatever. Like doing a you know Spanish fly out of nowhere that you wouldn't expect, bridging through a, a, a suplex and just doing it so quickly. So there was some really fun stuff that Devlin w- w- was, was doing throughout the match. But what I was going to say is, you know, Bell to Bell, very good. Like, I don't know that that, you know, match of the year contender, but atmosphere was awesome. And just seeing these two guys work their characters and the storytelling and whatnot. And I know that that's kind of like a, a, a shitty outdated meme about Will Ospreay. That's like, oh, Will Ospreay just does flips and doesn't tell stories. Like, A, I know when you say that, I know that you're not watching anything that Will Ospreay has done in the last like three years because he is so dripping with story. And this match was one of those where I'm a guy who who doesn't follow progress all that much. And and, and to the credit of the announcers, I forget who the two uh, were on the show. They did a great job of sort of saying, okay, well, Will Ospreay is, is doing this move because it's sort of an homage to Jimmy Havoc or, or, or and you know, he's, he's doing this as, as, as this and, and you can just kind of pick it up in the match, too, when you can kind of get an idea of Will Ospreay sort of telling the story that he wanted to tell in this match or whatnot. And I thought it was cool, too, that he, you know, decided that, hey, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be kind of heelish because the crowd's booing me right away and, and, and do that. And Devlin's kind of getting a, a, a little bit of a, you know, a, a positive crowd reaction or whatnot. People are starting to kind of, you know, get behind him a, a bit. So you have Will Ospreay, who's just doing a great dick. I mean, he's just flicking the, the, the fans off. He's, He's doing all this other stuff. I mean, just even his little moves, even like when he would do a flip or something like that, it would always, there was just something different about it because he was working like a bad guy and he was working like an asshole and he was working kind of like a prick or whatever. So it's cool to see him in that atmosphere and him doing that. But I, I thought, yeah, there's just a lot of, of fun stuff in that match. It's a super compact match, but there's a lot of really good stuff to sink your teeth into. And, and yeah, great storytelling throughout. I mean, it's two guys that, you know, you can tell at some points are adapting on the fly as, as sort of the crowds reacting or whatnot. And that's awesome. And there's a lot of really fun storytelling in that match but yeah i always i always see that like super outdated like oh well osprey just does flips and doesn't tell stories i'm like you're not watching well osprey you just haven't seen him at all because it's not true at all i mean all of the things we've seen this year are, are just brimming with storytelling yeah and he's so comfortable in front of the progress fans he he, he knows he's a made guy there and and, and and an icon in that company and the other thing i wanted to note was um i think will osprey now has reached a point where he is in terms of the the a high level indie, and when I say the high level indie, I mean you know the top of of indie wrestling, and I would consider progress there. Obviously, progress, PWG, um, places like that. Your 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 high level indies. In terms of of, of a guy in high level indies, um, he is as over as anybody I've ever seen at that level of wrestling. Whether you talk about Samoa Joe two thousand five or Homicide two thousand. You know, whatever, you, whether you want to talk about Homicide Ring of Honor or Homicide Jersey All-Pro or you want to talk about uh, current Nick Gage and the run is he on. If you want to talk about Brian Danielson, um, uh, you know, uh, his peak in ROH. I'm talking about guys who were just over like fucking crazy. Like, like I, I, I've been live to see all of these guys. I've seen Samoa Joe live at his peak. Brian Danielson, Nick Gage, Will Ospreay uh, at several WrestleMania weekends. Um, all of the Homicide at, at his peak. And he's right there with all of them in terms of being over in front of your high-level indie crowd. I mean, the guy comes out, and it's just he owns the fucking room. He's just a different level than everybody else. There was uh, definitely a, a different noise level. And I watched a lot of the other show as well. And it's like this yeah. dude is, is, is when he comes out, it's like everybody one way or another has a reaction about it. It, was just, it had that different aura, that different weight to it when he walked out. Yeah, you could throw young bucks in that group wherever mm-hmm. they go. I think that would be fair. I, I'm obviously probably missing a few, but I'm talking about you know, top one percenters in terms of being over, you know, at that level of wrestling where you just own every single person in the crowd. And um, 
you know, he's right there with any anyone I've ever seen uh, live. You know, at that level of wrestling, he's he's you know ACH in Austin, Texas, which you know is another one. At least in, in that city, um, you, if you really want to break it down city by city, you could probably come up with a million of these examples. But um, you know, he's 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 just every you know he just owns the crowd, and um, he he looks so comfortable in his own skin, in particular when he's in progress, and uh, he just owned that room, and he owned this match. And he told the story he wanted to tell both with Jordan Devlin and, and, and the bigger picture story as well. And I really think that this match did a ton for Devlin in progress. Uh, Devlin is a bigger star in other places. Um, you know, he hasn't gotten any kind of super push in progress. I think he lost in the first round of the uh, super strong style 16, you know, a couple months ago. And I, I think that, uh, you know, he, he, I think he, he, he lost his last match previous to the Osprey match in progress. I think it was a tag match, um, against, uh, South Pacific power trip. I forget, um, who he teamed with, but you know, he, it's, it's not like he was running through the roster before this Willow spray match. Um, and, and obviously the fans, you know, he's from the region. They know who he is, but I think that this loss to Willow spray did more for him than any of his other progress matches have to this point. So I think Devlin is a guy to keep your eye on. And in terms of progress doing the match before OTT did, we talked about that a little bit either last week or the week before. And I don't know that it's as a big a deal as some people are making it out to be because those companies are going to, are telling their own individual stories with these guys. So they've been building that match for a long time and they may lose the novelty of getting it first, but they're still telling their own story with Willow Spray and Jordan Devlin. A story independent of what progress. I mean, people were calling this a throwaway mid-card progress match. I don't know if that's necessarily fair either. But they're building up a, a huge Willow Spray-Jordan Devlin match in the context of their own universe, which I, I, I get why it sucks for them that someone else did it first, but I don't think it's going to have this, this massive negative impact. I think there's a little bit of overreaction there. But, yeah, uh, and I think it's important, too, that and, and, and we touched on it a little bit last week in terms of I don't feel like any company has had an obligation to not book something because one of their other, you know, yeah, it might, you know, be a black eye in, in, in some sense. And there might be, you know, some tensions there or whatnot. But I feel like if you tell a very good story, it doesn't matter that we've seen these guys wrestle before. That's, that's how I feel. And that's that's always how I felt with, with, with pro wrestling is that you can see the same matchup a few times. I think it's important to have that first one. I think that always is a big deal. That first matchup, it's really hard to bottle back. Up, but if it's a different promotion, if you're telling a different story, if you're doing some 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 interesting stuff with it, people will be excited for that story and that promotion. And you have to remember that we sort of assume that everybody's watching everything. There are your fans too that are only OTT, that maybe only watch that, that maybe only watch Progress or whatnot. So so there's always that sort of delineation too. So I to me I, I'm okay with it. it. It's it's not a huge deal for me. I think it's all now the onus on OTT then to deliver a well-booked, a well-structured, a, a good story match, and it will be just as important when they do it as well. It, it, it's not now all of a sudden ruined. You don't just throw the towel in because they booked it here for, for progress or whatever. You can still expand on it, but now you know, hey, look, these two dudes got great chemistry, so let's build an awesome story with it, and we know now they're going to have an awesome match with it. So in some ways, it can be beneficial if you do it properly. Th- those Irish fans are going to go ape shit for it. Yeah, oh, of course. And, yeah, and Devlin's got, and it's a different dynamic too with Devlin. I mean, Devlin sort of to an extent, of course, is, is is growing in progress and they're becoming fans, but but he'll be a god there, and 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 that's just a whole different story. Yeah, and, and I think they're gonna have a better match. It'll be positioned better on the card, and it's been it's been built for a long time, and they're gonna fucking blow the roof off the place, have an incredible match. The fans are gonna be drunk and rowdy, and they're gonna love it. And I don't think I think 
it's it's there it, you do lose the novelty factor i guess of doing it first but man aside from that i i do think it's uh um a, a bit overblown what a blow i don't think it's a, a major blow to the company so that was uh willow spray jordan devlin um i have been a subscriber to uh demand progress in the past i just haven't been for a while because i kind of again i i kind of lost interest a bit i I've, I've i've only kept one eye on the company because i have not been into the travis banks thing at all um and I thought Travis Banks was excellent in the WWE UK deal. Did you watch any of that yet? I have not. Way? You know, that was okay. that all happened while I was gone, and I have yeah. not caught up yet. And it's like, now it's 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 that weird where I was like, oh, I'll do this, and I'll catch up with this. And then it's like, ah, G1's in like three days. There's no chance in hell. So right. I want to. Maybe it'll be a rainy day or something like that. I I, I do want to eventually do it, but it's, it's I'm sure you'll tricky. watch it at some point. Yeah. But, uh, but Banks um, was booked totally different. He was he was booked as sort of a uh, an underdog babyface in that tournament as opposed to the deal he's been doing in progress over the last year or so. Um, you know, they did a deal where, uh, you know, he had an injured shoulder in the final. And um, I thought he was a lot better there than he's been in progress. Um, but, but yeah, I've, I've subscribed to demand progress before. I just haven't in a while. I, I, I can, I do recommend the service. I think um, progress is a fun promotion to follow, especially when they're clicking on all cylinders. I can't give them a ringing endorsement for what's going on creatively right now. But uh, just to go back and watch a lot of the classic stuff, if you haven't seen it, is well worth the seven forty nine to give it a whirl for a month. And like I said, you get all those other promotions. Uh, it's really, it's a decent, it's a really good service too. I think that's the the, the thing that's I think most important about it is it, it, it works well. The video looks great. It's easy to navigate. There's a lot of definitely a lot of benefits to it, even it's if you're not like, layout. It's a professional yeah, yeah. layout. And, and then look, pivot share can be hit or miss sometimes. Uh, you know, that can be a little spotty. But like, for instance, I had a buffering wheel for. Uh, like eight minutes today when I was really to watch. oh wow yeah. Yeah. yeah um and and that doesn't happen on any other service so pivot chair could be a little hit or miss but aside from that in terms of the content and like you're saying the layout and the video quality when it you know when it is working um and seven forty nine is a damn good price I mean that's a lot cheaper than most of the other services out there. Uh, so anyway, that's. Uh, you have anything else on Osprey Devlin, or do you want to? Uh, uh, not really. No. I, the last thing I think, and and you brought up an important point about you know losing and how that can be beneficial. I was looking at. at, at I just closed the window. Um, he uh, he teamed with El, El Fantasmo was the uh, tag team uh, that he was in, and then they lost, and then he also did lose in the first round of the Strong Styles. But it's just so you know you. Uh, in case, because I know we were going to get some tweets about it, but but this is a great example. Oh, so JL, we talked about JL this. had it. So what you're saying is JL had it right. JL had it right. Yes. My memory's not that yeah. bad. You know, like I said, I'm keeping, I'm keeping one eye on things. I kind of know what's going on over here. But I think one of the things, and we, we talk about this all the time when, when we talk about booking in other companies and whatnot, but it is it is not easy, but at times can be to have a guy benefit from losing. Jordan Devlin is not winning in progress. You know what I mean? He, he I think he's won one match so far in progress in this, this most recent run or whatever, and he's still progressively getting more and more over by the match structure, by how he you know carries himself in the ring or whatnot. We talk about it all the time. Like, it doesn't have to be wins and losses immediately. Wins, yes, of course, winning is the best way to get somebody over, but you can get somebody over by losing as well. There's just a certain way to do it. There's a certain art to doing it. There's there's a way to make it happen. But more than anything, what's cool is they're not doing, you know, they're obviously they have big plans for Jordan Devlin. They have an idea of where they're going to go with him. At le- at least I think I think they're they're building something there. And what the good move is is to not have him just go and trade a bunch of wins and go fifty fifty and go back and forth and back and forth. They're telling a decent story. He's come back. He's sort of refamiliarizing himself with all the people in the promotion. He's kind of working his way back through the ranks, and he's going to lose to a Will Ospreay. He should lose to a Will Ospreay right now. There's a hierarchy right there. Will Ospreay is way ahead of Jordan Devlin, but the fact that he took him to the absolute limit, 
that's enough where you're going to get over by winning. And I think, you know, or get over by losing, I should say. And that's where, you know, you had mentioned before that, I, that you thought it benefited him tremendously. I think it probably benefited him more that he lost this match than when he, if you won the match, because if you win the match, then it's like, all right, what next? Or what's the next thing that you have to do? Okay. You're, you, you beat Will Ospreay. What's left now? It's like, okay, we know that he can, he can almost get there. He's almost at Will Ospreay level, but he's not quite there. So he loses. He goes back down and he's got to work his way up slowly, but surely it's like the new Japan style booking that we talk about all the time where, you know, a, a guy will be, you know, lower mid card. Juice Robinson's a great example where little by little you started to sense about a year ago that Juice was starting to get some momentum and it takes a long time to build that. But when you do it and it's so, you, you know, when you do it well, it, it, it's so beneficial because we saw Juice Robinson. We'll talk about the G1 special here in a little bit. He's one of the most over guys on the entire show because people are are bought into, okay, this guy used to lose all the time and he he got better. He studied. We, you know, rallied behind him, whatever the the the, 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 the example is or whatever the, the reason is. It's fun to watch those guys progress versus like a guy comes in and he wins immediately or a guy comes in and he goes 50-50-50 until you decide you're going to push him. That stuff does nothing for anybody. You don't rally behind that. You rally behind people that either win all the time or maybe they they lose all the time or they work their way up a ladder. Like that's it's processing 101, but it's so hard for some companies to kind of get a handle on it. Yeah, I agree. I I I I really came away with it thinking that his stock is up in that particular company. Yeah, for sure. Where it goes moving forward. So I watched um, Cavanario King Phoenix the week before because I've been watching these Friday night CMLL shows. Um, I told you you needed to watch it. I talked about it last week. I loved the match. In particular, I loved the first fall. I thought the first fall was really fucking awesome the way Cavanario blitzed him. What did you think of the match? Interesting, because actually, I think my favorite fall, I did enjoy the first fall. I really love the second fall. The second fall is probably my favorite because that was Phoenix sort of doing Phoenix things and being a nutcase and doing, you know, from the ramp to the outside, you know, <laughs> foot stomp onto Kevin Aro's back and whatnot. I did enjoy the first fall, too, because Kevin Aro, I love one thing I love anytime I watch a match of his. And it's a big reason why I love him is, is in, in, and anybody who knows me knows my taste in wrestling. Guys that attack at the bell or guys that attack when, like, the guy's taking his gear off or whatever. I love those guys. You know, sometimes I don't want everybody to do that. I don't think. Everybody should do that. I think it's 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 you know reserved or best if it's used only just by by certain wrestlers. But I love the idea that like no, I'm not going to let you just take your gear off. I'm not going to let you sort of get acclimated and we stare at each other in the ring and then we look at each other and then we go or whatever. I like the idea of like no, fuck off. I'm just going to start blitzing you right away. And that's what Kevin Ario did. Like the bell rings and he just starts attacking him. It's like I don't give a fuck. I'm not going to wait a second. What am I going to wait for? I'm going to beat your ass right now. And then obviously he does the splash to the outside and does just crazy Kevin Ario stuff. But uh, yeah, first of all it was awesome. Second of all, I really really loved uh, because Phoenix was sort of then showing off what he's able to do and and. And we've said this as well, and I think I, I think this match it did translate a little bit. But but you're somebody that's seen that that's that's seen Phoenix live, and I think a lot of people maybe have seen Phoenix live. But if you haven't, there is a different aura to Phoenix when you see him live. There's a different smoothness. His his athleticism jumps off the page a little bit more when you're actually at the arena and you can see what he's doing. You can see how he's interacting with the ropes or whatnot. I think this match is obviously a great showcase of what he's able to do and obviously what he does in Lucha Underground and all that other stuff. But if you ever have an opportunity where Phoenix is running at, you know, somewhere near you or whatever and you've never seen him live, you absolutely have to see him live because he's a guy whose stock, and I think you agree with me when we talked about this point a few months ago, his stock just rises so much when you see him live. He's just a completely different live wrestler than he is on video. But I thought the second fall for him really fun. Uh, the third fall, I, I enjoyed it, but it, it's weird. It almost... You know, I always, I always complain about the first two falls in Lucha because they feel like they don't mean anything. Well, what I liked about those is they were blitzy. They were like these two dudes, which I made made all the sense in the world that Phoenix and Kevin Hart would just blitz each other in those first two falls. And they did. By the third fall, I, I think I, I kind of tired from the match a little bit because it was a little more long. It was a little more drawn out. It was a little more methodical. And when I have these two guys in the ring, I just kind of want them to go nuts. Like I would have almost enjoyed if this match had five or seven minutes left in it or, or less in it because 
I really enjoyed when they were running and running and running and going and going and going, which obviously, you know, with these two dudes, that's what you're kind of looking for and, and wanting. And then that third fall, I felt like they tried to give it a little bit more time, a little bit more weight to that third fall, which I get. It makes sense, but it took a little bit away from me. So that's that's what kind of hurt, because after that second fall, I'm like, holy shit, I cannot wait for this third fall. This might go on my note, my notebook. I had it half written in, and the third fall was going and going and going and going, and it just kind of, I think, went a little too long, but still a very fun match, one that you should definitely check out for those first two falls. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Did you have similar thoughts on that third fall? Yeah, I thought the the match was stronger on the front end. I I like the first fall the okay. best. I like I like Cavanario, um, you know, picking up Phoenix by the legs and just smashing his skull into the guardrail um, early in the match. Sort of that old like we've seen Shelton Benjamin used to do in Noah. Remember, uh, he used to pick guys up by the legs and just bash their heads into yes. the guardrail. Yes. Oh yeah, I forgot about the old Shelton and Noah. Yeah, that was a that was a thing. Yeah. yeah and then he hit, of course, <laughs> the splash from the top and. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. It was a front-loaded match, but uh, it was it was to me um, the best lucha match I've seen this year, and I've watched more lucha this year than than I have in in some recent years. Um, you know the 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 AAA openers, and I burned through all of those with those wacky kids. Those those were very good from a just a a visual turn your brain off, watch people do flips sort of at it. But this was a better match than. Oh, no, certainly. Yeah, yeah, I know. 100%. Those matches were, I'm glad we watched them and they were spectacles, but this felt like it was an actual match. That just felt like, here's a bunch of dudes doing a bunch of shit, which is fine sometimes. You know what I mean? Sometimes which is you fine want for that. openers. Right, and, right, exactly. And, and, when, and when you're just, you know, kids working the openers, that's, you know, that, you know, that's exactly actually what I want out of my, I, I talked about that on the TV reviews this week. What I want out of my opening match is exactly what those AAA openers have been. Just fucking wackiness, get the crowd hyped up, um, put psychology to the side and just go out there and, 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 you oh, know, man. Rip Rogers is spinning in his grave. Joe, are you kidding? You can't have good matches in the beginning. You can have good matches in the semi-main. It's all building to the main, man. You can't overshadow the main event. Joe, come on. Slap on that headlock. You know, just, just grind <laughs> right. it out. Nobody do anything until the main event. Cause you don't want the main eventers to get their feelings hurt or something. So, right. But, um, but, but yeah, so to me, it, it's my Lucha match of the year to this point. Um, which, it's by the way, just, do you find the irony in that? Because Rip Rogers, you know, worked in like NWA for years, and you know, like the tag team openers and stuff that were always like really, really awesome and stuff. Oh, whatever, whatever. Rip, whatever. you know, and, and the thing about Rip <laughs> the Rogers, Fantastics, you know what I mean? Like, you know, great, the, open, whatever. Okay. The thing about Rip Rogers is, I really liked him as a wrestler. Um, I know he was great. Yeah, you know, he's a tremendous enhancement guy. A tremendous. You know, even in places where he was pushed a little bit, and he never got pushed real hard, at least in a lot of places that I watched, he never got, um, you know, main event level pushes or anything. But in the places where he would get like a mid card or a lower mid card push, I've always enjoyed Rip Rogers' work. It's just, I mean, it, you know, his some of his ideas are antiquated to say the least. Um, now, some of the things that he says are smart and make sense. It's just, it, it's, it's, you know, he goes overboard, and a lot of right. it just doesn't fit the modern. Right. Or a lot of it. And my, my biggest thing when I when I look at Rip Rogers and I'm, I'm kind of roll my eyes at his, his Twitter account is when he just states like obvious things like, hey, right. if you're a baby face, the job's to get over with the fans. If you're a heel, you got to be a bad guy. And it's like, all right, thanks, Rip. And everyone's just like, yeah, dropping knowledge, Rip. And I'm like, I, I, everybody knows that, though. It's like, you know, I don't need to, you to tell me that, like, your bad guy should be bad and good guy should be good. But thanks he anyway, really does right? overstate the obvious. There's no right, question like, about if you're an enhancement guy, your job's to get the other guy over, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, great, thank you, Rip." It's like, well, yeah, like, okay, we got yeah, that. But uh... everyone, yeah, people slapping the fave button, and then <laughs> uh, 
you know, like your cult of cornet goofs, like in the mentions going, you're so smart, Rip. You tell right. them, Rip. It's just like that stuff where and I'm I... like, because a lot of times, like, yeah, I mean, it's it's good advice, but it's like advice that I feel like, like day two for wrestling school stuff. Like, all right, I'm cool. Like, yeah. But he has a lot of good matches again with Lanny Poffo, if I remember correctly, right? Well, yeah, I mean, Rip Rogers did work for, um, for, uh, that, that, uh, that outlaw promotion. ICW, right? Yeah. 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 He, he was an ICW guy with Ron Garvin and the Poffos and, and people like that. So yeah, he actually has a, um, there's a cage match. I think I've seen Rip, that before with Rip Rogers. Correctly. Yeah. With Rip Rogers and Lenny Poffo. And I'm pretty sure it's from, from ICW. And I think it's from about 1981 or 1982. That is probably the most hyped Rip Rogers match of all time unless I'm forgetting another obvious one, but I don't think I am. Um, now, I hated that match, ironically enough, because I like Rip Rogers. Okay. And I like, and you know I might be the world's biggest Lanny Poffo fan because I think he's historically underrated. I, I love Lanny Poffo. But, and, I, and, and I remember watching that match, I don't know, for the first time many years ago because it was so hyped. Like, that's a, that's a match that gets a lot of hype in places like your DVD-VR boards and your PWO boards, places like that where people watch old tapes, okay? You know that's a hyped match, and and I remember being excited about it because I like both guys, and I really like that promotion, or at least at least what exists of it. And the match just fell flat for me. It was just, um, you know, I, I, all I can remember from that match, and I, I think I've only seen it once, is just a series of punches to the head. That was my enduring memory of that match. It's like. Rip Rogers punching Lanny Poffo in the head a lot. Yeah, well, and I can see um, because the, both those guys are super, you know, Lanny Poffo's obviously way ahead of his time in terms of high flying, and Rip Rogers was yeah. pretty good at getting around the ring a little bit as well. So, yeah, when you confine them to a cage, it's probably just a little bit. And, and I'm trying to remember if I've seen the match. I don't know that I actually have now that I'm I'm actually kind of scrolling through it right now real quick. Maybe I'll, I'll check it out. But, uh, yeah, that, that yeah, when you I, I'm, I'm seeing it right now, and I can see why you would hate it because you love – the speed that those guys work at sometimes and, the, and what they're able to do. And this match is just kind of like your standard bloody well, cage match brawl or whatever. And that's, well, you know that what they did? A little bit. They, they worked it exactly how you would think Rip Rogers would work a cage match. Super, super logical. Just, I'm going to punch this guy in the head. But the thing is, I, what I also remember from it is they didn't really incorporate the cage very much. And again, I've only seen it once. and It was many years ago. Um, but I just remember being bored to tears and severely disappointed by that match to the point where I was like, this is a fucking two-star special. I would never want to watch this thing again, which is probably why I never did. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, that that might be, in fact, that might not only be Rip Rogers' most hyped match of all, it might be Lanny Poffo's most hyped match. Well, I don't know. Poffo had a lot of matches. Um, that Hogan one, that, that Hogan Saturday the Hogan one, one you're right. Be, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. We talked about that in the Joe and Rich recommend matches to each other. Uh, that we did a few months ago, which we're going to do again. With teaser, teaser. News show. coming. Yeah, news coming soon about that. But we discussed, yeah, you're probably right. That's Saturday night's main event. What was it? Uh, Poffo versus Hogan. Right, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably, that his, point, right. that's probably his most famous match. And that was a really good match, too. Um, but yeah, so, you know, if people want to check out that cage match, it just wasn't for me. I mean, it didn't do much for me. Um, but yeah, I don't know how we got, well, we were talking about Rip Rogers, but. So let's move to the third match here. This was the one that you watched last week, and I did not. And that was from Evolve 106, which was Walter versus Darby Allen. You talked about it a little bit last week, but now with the reins off, now that I've seen it, did you have uh, any other expanded thoughts on it before I tell you what I thought? 
Yes, yeah, so obviously, as I mentioned, I didn't want to kind of give you any spoilers because I thought it was a fun match to watch without knowing the result right away. And you maybe could probably pick up on why why I wanted to kind of keep it away because, like, if it was just Walter dominating him, like, I feel like I would have just told you that or whatnot. But, uh, uh, yeah, I thought what was really cool is is, is Darby, you know, I, and, and the way I said it last week a little bit for people that did not listen, it, it's just it was the perfect, like, these two dudes in my mind did exactly that, the, the, the style of match that it needed to be with these two people, and these guys just did it to perfection. Walter didn't do a whole lot. He just kind of fucked this guy up at every little turn or whatever, tossed him around, chopped him, kicked him, just acted like he was like, you know, seven foot five or whatever. And Darby Allen was just bumping like a goddamn madman all over the ring. And, and he's so good at making everybody's stuff look incredible. And he's so good at making particularly Walter's stuff just look awesome. And it just made Walter come up like a big star. And then the fans, it was this weird thing where they were cheering for Walter. They wanted Walter to beat the, the hell out of this guy. And then little by little, there was like that sympathy thing where it's like, oh shit, like Darby's really getting his ass kicked here. We're going to kind of rally behind Darby. And I thought that was awesome. In front of that really hot crowd, they sort of rallied behind Darby. And little by little, you're seeing, hey, this guy might be able to do it. He might be able to do it. I mean, there's no chance he's going to do it, but he might be able to do it. And then he just fucking does it. Then he gets the pinfall out of nowhere, and the crowd just explodes. He realizes he got lucky. Walter realizes he got lucky. I just think a really cool structure of a match, too. And it's one that, like, like again, if, if Darby Allen did not win, I think he would have still gotten over. But it's one of those perfect situations to have him just kind of get a random win out of nowhere, just a complete fluky sort of win or whatnot that can, what, what, what more than anything, is build up to another match where then Walter just beats the fuck out of him and beats him or whatnot. But I think Darby is just so good right now. He's a guy that I absolutely just love. Every time I watch a Darby Allen match, I fall in love with him any, you know, even more than I did prior. And then Walter's Walter. I mean, Walter's, it, it, it sucks because he's like arguably one of the best wrestlers in the world, but it, he's so overshadowed by so many other great wrestlers in the world. But but he is, like, he is like a top five guy right now. It's just incredible. Like, that's how spoiled we are is that, like, I feel like we don't talk about Walter enough as like a a, a, a real great right now. Because there's so many other guys doing great stuff, but I think Walter's on on top of his game right now, and Darby Allen, I love. But what would you think before I continue going on and on and on about it? I fucking loved it. It was exactly I knew you would. What, I knew you would. It's exactly what you would have wanted out of Walter versus Darby. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's exactly what you wanted out of that. And I was stunned. I watched it unspoiled. Um, I was I knew what I was going to get in terms of match structure. I mean, that was you know, and I love like little things like Darby Allen just jumping on Walter's back like a fucking. Well, he had no moves. He had, like, no idea. He was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, like, you know, jump on you. and Like, he was a little kid just, like, playing around with his dad or whatever. It, it looked like your dad, like, wrestling with, like, a, you know, a three-year-old or whatever, where it's just, like, the dad can toss around and do whatever he wants, and the three-year-old just finds, like, creative ways to, you know, I'm going to step on your back, or I'm going to, you know, poke you in the eye, or I'm going to hit you in the ear, because he has no offense. What is Darby Allen going to do to Walter? Yeah, so it was, it was interesting, the tactics he attempted. It was exactly what I thought it would be. I was stunned that he won. Um, you know, but the way that they did it, it didn't come off in a banana peel sort of way. It, it, it's interesting because it, it's hard to explain. A lot of times if you, if, if, if you do a match like that and the, and the, and the smaller guy wins, it comes off cheap or it comes off, you know, like a banana peel win, but this didn't. And I, and I, and I'm, I'm having a hard time articulating why, but it just didn't. It felt like Darby Allen earned it. Um, and, and, and it's interesting because um, it did surprise me, but the next night, uh, Timothy Thatcher, wrestled Anthony Henry in a very similar match. And Anthony Henry scored the big upset win over Timothy Thatcher. And Walter came out to, uh, you know, console his stablemate. Um, you know, so they had both of the ring comp guys lose to undersized wrestlers who figure to get pushed and continue to get pushed moving forward. And, you know, Anthony Henry offered, he, he asked Walter to step out of the way so he could shake Timothy Thatcher's hand. You know, the crowd standing up and all of this had gotten over tremendously. 
And then Walter just kicks his fucking head off. <laughs> and, and, and I thought that was a great fucking touch. He's like, no, fuck you. Shake his hand. Get out of here. You know, he, he kicks Anthony Henry in the head. Uh, he, he helps Timothy Thatcher to the back. And, you know, and, and, and it's just the ring conf guys, the bullies got their, got, you know, got theirs uh, that weekend and evolved. And, uh, you know, and, and, but they kept their edge. They kept their edge. But, um, but a big weekend for Darby Allen too, because then he beat Jarik 120 uh, the next night in a match that they've been building up since really Mania weekend. And this is a good time. If you haven't heard, did you hear the Everything of I have not had yet? a chance. I have it downloaded. I have not had a chance. But yeah, plug it right now. Okay, so Aaron Bentley interviewed Jarik 120 on the Everything Evolves podcast, which just dropped a couple of days ago, and uh, it is a fascinating listen because uh, Jarik is very candid. And very honest, and he sounds like a guy who really has is a is it's it he's he revealed that he doesn't think he's going to be booked for Evolve, you know, moving forward. He's not on the next set of shows. He admits that he's depressed about it. He admits that he's bummed out about it. He admits that his his failed WWE tryout, um, you know, uh, really got to him mentally. Uh, he he's a guy who sounds like he's on the verge of giving up wrestling. And just going back into magic where he's very successful. I learned a lot about his magic on the podcast. The guy's got like a million YouTube followers and makes all of his money doing magic, which I had no clue. Um, But it's a really one of the more honest and revealing and candid wrestler podcasts that that and and you could tell that Aaron Bentley is taken aback by it. Um, You know, I don't think he was expecting the tone of the podcast to be what it was. Uh, but it's a very revealing listen. And if you look at the booking from, from that last weekend, I mean, he lost to the returning John Davis on night one. He lost to Darby Allen on night two. And Rich, the ironic thing is, and I don't know if you saw either one of those matches. I think those were the best two matches of his career. I mean, th- they were tremendous matches. The John Davis match was shockingly good. Uh, the Darby Allen match was, was a tremendous match. And this is a guy who's just down on himself. He's down. He, 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 he openly admits that he thinks that people in wrestling don't like him. Uh, he says that he feels that he has a mediocre look and that WWE basically told him that he has a shitty look. And he's just, it's, it's shockingly honest. And it is, it is well worth your time. It's only an hour long. Um, and and you, can, you can feel that Bentley is surprised at the feedback he's getting from this guy. Um, but I, man, I mean, I, you know, if he's listening to this, I mean, stick with it because those two matches were great. I wouldn't get so down on yourself just because Gabe skipped you on the next set of weekends. This is a guy who I do think brings some interesting things to the table um, and, and certainly felt like a guy to me was on the come up. So, um, yeah, it, it, definitely worth a listen. But the Darby Allen Walter match, oh, just exceptional stuff. Exactly what you would expect out of those guys. Uh, one thing I want to say about Jarek, you, you were talking about, um, you know, his his last two matches being his best. And sometimes, you know, that, that doesn't surprise me all the way because sometimes when you stop caring and don't think about things, it's it's often best. And he's a guy who obviously, I, I, I have not listened yet, but I heard all the feedback and I've, I've heard what people have said. He's obviously a guy who, who really is self-conscious about everything that he does and really self-conscious about what he does in the ring, how he looks, and all this stuff, and I, I, and I, I sympathize with him because I'm in the exactly same way as as he is as well. So I could see that when you maybe just go out there and go, "Ah, who fucking cares? Who gives a shit?" That you have your best performances because you're not thinking about anything. You're not worried about how you look and how you step and who's watching and what the next step of your career is. Sometimes you are better when you just go out there and go, "All right, whatever. Let's see what happens." And maybe, maybe that's the turning point for him. Maybe he has to realize, "Hey, I had to hit rock bottom to realize, hey, what? 
you know, I, I, you know, I'm maybe better if I don't overthink things or whatnot. So yeah, it'll be fascinating. I cannot wait to listen. I've heard incredible stuff. And, and what's cool too, is it's unique among wrestler interviews. Cause I think most times when you, when you interview a wrestler, I know every time we have, you know, guys will talk about, you know, struggles that they've had here and there, but for the most part, guys are pretty happy with themselves. They're boisterous. They're promoting a show. They're talking about the championships they've won, the great matches they've had. Very rarely do you have an interview with a pro wrestler, an active pro wrestler who's, who's, who's willing to sort of, you said, be that open book and tell you things that are bothering him, you know, individual little things that are bothering him, the look, I mean, that's it, just little stuff like that, we, we think of wrestlers as these, like, uber-confident dudes or whatever, and it, 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 sometimes it's not that, and, and that's really going to be fascinating, I cannot wait to, to listen to that, but yeah, Everything Evolves, uh, most recent Everything Evolves on this very network, uh, as well, you can find it on voicewrestling.com as well, really, really well-received so far, and I hope it kind of grows uh, and grows and grows and gains some steam because I'm I'm really excited to see that. But uh, yeah, anything more on? Really, uh, yeah, if you re- really quickly, if you really want to dig into and learn about what an indie wrestler goes through behind the scenes, um, to to try to get their career to work, he really gets into that too. And I don't want to give away all the bits. I want people to listen to it. Um, but he talks about driving cross country and just. Oh, I, I saw that. I mean, he went to the. He was at the. I think he made his maybe evolved debut or he had debuted a, 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 in Chicago. And I remember. He, I saw him get into his car. I saw that he was with his like, girlfriend, or I, for, I forget who it was exactly. And I felt horrible because she was like there and she looked like bored or whatever. And and it was like the, his little segment was over and he, you know, hung around a little bit and then walked out. And like the second the show was over, ran to his car, got in and, and drove away or whatever. And then I looked up a little bit. And I'm like, oh man, this dude's like driving like way far. And he's like with this, this, this whoever this girl was. I don't know if it was girlfriend, wife. I don't, I don't know who it was exactly. And, like, you could tell that she was done with it. Like, it was just, like, this really... And, and it's, like, the stress that we forget. Like, it's not... These guys aren't just ready to go or whatever. And, and it's just, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating what these wrestlers go through. And I think we don't, uh, we don't give it enough respect, especially if you're not with a group of dudes or whatnot. Like, if you get your little traveling buddies and your traveling crew or whatever, that can help it out a little bit. But when you're on your own, I mean, those are some lonely-ass drives, like, across the country for, what, you know, $15 sometimes. Maybe you don't well, get paid. You know well, what I mean? Like, nothing. Yeah. He didn't even do it to work shows. He basically went on a training junket where he... He went to a who's who of wrestling schools to work with, you know, and he named a bunch of them, uh, Bully Ray, Booker T, Rocky Romero. Um, he went down the line. He went to like seven, eight, nine, ten different schools just to work with these trainers and get different perspectives. And he, and, and he timed it to where he'd be in Orlando for WrestleMania weekend. And you just got to listen, you know, and, and it, it made me have a newfound respect for the guy. And it really, you can't come away from this podcast not rooting for him now. I don't want to see him quit. I, I want to see it work out for him because he's a guy who really put a ton of, I mean, he openly admits on this thing that he, that wrestling is, lo- is his love more so than the magic, but the magic pays the bills. Right. You know, and, and, <laughs> and it's just, it, it it's a great listen. Um, I think Aaron did an excellent job in a difficult spot because you know, and I know interviewing people can be tricky, especially if it goes places you don't expect it to go. And this did not go where Aaron expected it to go. It, it, it is borderline dark, this podcast. So I, I, I strongly recommend that everybody listen to it. I know that you will. Um, but yeah, so, uh, that that was our homework. Do you have anything else to add to these, or do you, do you- no? Definitely, I think all three of these. If you have never, if you have not seen, I, I think they're all worth watching. I think you know, I don't know that any of these are going to show up on your match of the year. I mean, the Walter Darby Allen. I'm I'm I don't know, man. It, it's it's definitely made my list. It's one that I'm I'm definitely kind of pegging there. But yeah, Phoenix and Kevin Ario, definitely one you're going to want to check out. The first two falls in particular, Joe and I kind of agreed. Incredible, Devil and Osprey, really great storytelling. A fun way to kind of watch the progress of of Devil and Walter Darby Allen is. 
exactly what Walter Darby Allen should be and needed to be and incredible crowd. Yeah, all of it really works well. So yeah, all three matches well worth well worth your time. Oh, quickly too before we move on, Evolve. I'll tell you the, the two people who blew me away on the two shows. Number one was Jarek. I mean, he had the two best matches I've ever seen. I didn't think he was capable of having matches that good. And the other guy was Janela. Because okay, so he he won the I think the WWN title from Austin Theory, which by the way, they got to do something about the two titles. It's a disaster. Yeah, now it is ridiculous. It's, yeah, it's, it's it, too small it. of a promotion. You can't have, have five matches and two world titles. You know what I mean? Like, you you can't. Just, yeah. You can't have. Yeah, you, and really, they have a core roster of less than ten guys, and then everybody else is kind of cycled in depending where they're running. And you can't have two. Like, what title matters more? I don't know the answer to that because they haven't made it clear. Merge the fucking things. It, it, you cannot have two titles. But anyway, that's besides the point. So Janela wins the WWN title from uh, Austin Theory. And then he worked a three-way the next night where Theory put the F... Oh, by the way, then they have the FIP title. <laughs> right, is, right, right, right. You know, so he defends the FIP title in a three-way with DJZ and, and Janela. And Janela really was the other guy along with Jarek who stood out with me on the weekend. I think I have one match left, the main event from 107. Or what, 207? What number are they on? Uh, 107, 107. 107. Um, Janela hung, man. I mean, the one thing, it's like, they always say, you know, he's all charisma. He's uh, he's a guy who's just super... No, he hung in the... He had a great... You talk about best matches of people's careers. That was probably the best Austin Theory match I've ever seen against Janela. Uh, I, I went four stars on it. And then the uh, the three-way as well, I thought was about a four-flat, you know, four-range match. And Janela impressed the shit out of me bell to bell. I mean, he obviously has everything else down to a T. His act is phenomenal. Yeah, did you watch any and, of the promos that he had? Because they had on, on WWN, they had uh, post match promos and whatnot on their YouTube channel. I don't know if you actually checked those out, but Janela did a great job as well, kind of putting it over. And, and he said exactly that thing. You know, he he said, you know, you th- everybody says I'm a deathmatch guy, I'm a comedy guy. Well, you know, no, I'm not. I'm a wrestler. And he's like holding that title. It was really cool. It was a fun little story that they're kind of telling with him. I got to tell you, I've seen Joey Janela for Game Changer. I've seen Joey Janela for uh, MLW. I've seen, and so have you, have seen Janela in AAW, okay? I've seen Joey Janela in in Pat Buck's various promotions years ago. I've seen Joey Janela wrestle in a lot of places. I think he has come off the best, shockingly enough, in Evolve. I believe that. Like, I, I, I've been... He, a shocking... I did, I, if you would have told me before, his, I, I'd say, oh, maybe he won't fit. He's been great. And I know it hasn't been, you know, years and years. It's only been a few shows, but... My God, he came off like the biggest star on these two shows. And that's including Matt Riddle, who comes off like an absolute fucking superstar there. Um, Joey Janela came off like the biggest star on these shows. And he, and he held his own and more than held his own bell to bell. He hung as well as anybody in that company right now, bell to bell. So I am super impressed so far on the uh, early returns of the Joey Janela Evolver. So just wanted to knock that out of the way, too, before I forgot, before we moved on. All right, and let's move on to our other stuff here. We got New Japan G1 special in San Francisco. We're going to talk about WWE Extreme Rules. We also got some uh, G1 Climax stuff as well. A little bit about MLW Battle Riot, and as we said, a little preview of what's coming up on the Patreon later this week, because Joe and Rich recommend matches to each other, is coming back. But before we do any of that, I do want to let you know that this episode of the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast is brought to you by our friends at ZipRecruiter. And if you're in need of great talent for your business, but you're short on time, you don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. You just need the right tools. You need smarter tools. You need ZipRecruiter. Finding great talent for your business is no easy task. You need to be using ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter posts your job to over 100 job sites 
leading job boards, just one click. It's just that easy. Then ZipRecruiter actively looks for the most qualified candidates and invites them to apply for your job. ZipRecruiter will review every single application to identify the top candidates so you never miss a great match. And that's why ZipRecruiter is different unlike other hiring sites. ZipRecruiter does not depend on the right candidate finding you. It finds them. 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. That's one day. 80% of employers finding a quality candidate. You cannot beat that. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. And you can find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. Voice wrestling listeners can post jobs to ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. One more time to try it for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW to post a job. Again, for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. All right, G1 special? Yeah. Let's talk about it. Fun little show here. I uh, I was, I, I did the review for the website, voicewrestling.com, of course. I was pleasantly surprised by this. Strong Style Evolved had some good stuff on it. You know, the, the one in April, the one in America. Um, a lot of good stuff. I thought, you know, in, the, in, the, in the, the top of the show, you know, the main event was obviously good. There was some fun stuff. But I thought, by and large, I didn't really enjoy the show all that much. This I fucking love this show, Joe. What did you think of overall of, of G1 Special in San Francisco? No, nah, this had four great matches and a fifth match that was excellent. Um, so, you know, this was as good as, uh, you know, any of your great New Japan, you know, big shows in Japan. Um, you know, on paper, it looked like a fun show and an okay show. I thought it over-delivered big time. And uh, yeah, so this this was this was a this was a great watch. I mean, there's a lot to unpack here, though, from the, the Hiromu injury to Jim Ross commentary to Josh Barnett, you know, you know, almost shooting on Jay White. So I don't even know where you want to start. <laughs> yeah, it's um, a big, a a big to... angle at the end of the show. I mean, there's yeah, so big much angle and injury, uh, a lot of yeah, I. Let's start with maybe the elephant in the room there a little bit, and, and it's not the injury. We'll, we'll get to that here in a little bit. But you had mentioned at the top kind of the Jim Ross, Josh Barnett stuff, and I guess that sort of plays a little bit into to Juice and Jay White. So it's a little bit out of out of line. But let, let's maybe hold off on the on the Josh Barnett thing. Let's just talk about their commentary overall before we get into the, the thing with Jay White and Josh Barnett. But sure. uh, overall, Jim Ross and Josh Barnett commentary. I mean, we have been very critical of them for 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 months now, years really. You know, for in the case of Jim Ross. Uh, Barnett's a guy who who can ebb and flow with a guy. I've sort of been down on Barnett for a while. You've still kind of been positive on him. I thought they were horrendous this entire show. Absolutely detrimental to the product. And I, if, if I'm Access, if I'm New Japan, if I'm anybody, I never let these guys on again. They, I think they did a great job bridging the gap. I think Jim Ross is a great opportunity for casual fans to go, oh, I know Jim Ross, cool. Maybe I'll check this out. I think you, you, you assume that over the course of the last you know years or whatever, the last two, three years or however long, He's been doing it that all those casual fans that are watching just because Jim Ross is on have poured it over, but there is no point anymore in having him. If you, hell, if you want to have him for the access stuff because you can record it and read off his notes on, on it, whatever, you can do that. But live shows, I never want to hear Jim Ross ever again do New Japan commentary, and I don't even know why he's doing it because he obviously hates it. He's doing a piss-poor job of it. It's, it, it's embarrassing, and if I'm a first-time viewer... Why would you ever, I mean, other than watching the wrestling, obviously the wrestling is incredible, but if you really care what your announcers say and let them lead you through the stories and lead you through the company, you would think that this is the shittiest wrestling ever and this stuff sucks and and and, and I'm just going to go back and watch WWE. I think he does a horrendous job of getting anybody invested, involved, or, or anybody new on the product. So I, this is a lot, Barnett wasn't great, but a lot of, Ross was horrible on this show. Just absolutely dirt worse, terrible. I, it's, okay, 
So he doesn't know the stories. Not Let's at all. Let's just get that out. And, and you know, he doesn't know the stories. Obviously, he doesn't care to research them. Um, if he's got a spotter, the spotter's doing a bad job, or he's just ignoring the notes. <coughs> um, so he doesn't know the stories. He doesn't. He still can't get the wrestlers straight. Which, look, you get tongue tied now and then, and you want to confuse guy. But he, he, come on, he still doesn't know who Bushi is. When he's the only guy in the in the match wearing a mask. I mean, it. This is just stuff that we used to just joke about. But it's becoming glaring. But the worst part of his performance to me is, look, he tries to put the wrestlers over. I, I don't I don't see him out there. He's not out there burying wrestlers. He he says, he tries to say the right things about the wrestlers and get the wrestlers over. The problem is he's burying the promotion he's calling. And he's burying the referees. Because it seems as though, instead of adapting to the product that he's calling, which is what his job is, which is what a, a wrestling commentator's job is, to adapt to what you're calling, and and uh, and 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 protect the referees. He's burying the referees and burying the promotion. Um, you know, constantly pointing out that the referee that he doesn't know who the legal man is in a tag match. Constantly pointing out that the referee isn't even attempting to enforce the rules. Constantly pointing out that you know Red Shoes is doing a terrible job. That's not his job. What you know? What he should do? What what his job and what he has done well in the past? What he has done well in the past is when you see inconsistencies in the ring that might make the viewer go, "Now wait a minute, you were supposed to cover for that shit." Okay. For example, when Cody and Kenny Omega are running these long ass egregious ladder spots in the middle of a match that is not a street fight or a no DQ match or anything like that. Instead of harping on the referee not doing his job, all Jim Ross has to say is one throwaway line of something to the effect of, you know, Cody and Kenny Omega have had a year-long rivalry and Red Shoes is, is letting them get away with some things here to settle their differences. That's all he has to say. And right there, you've covered for the ref, you've explained why all of these shenanigans are going on, and you're not burying the referee, the credibility of the referee or the credibility of the promotion, right? Which, or, which, your, or your credibility, because I understand yeah. he has to protect his own too. Oh, for sure, for sure. And that's like a Callis and, and, and Kelly will do that a lot on New Japan yes. shows, where they're like, "Yeah, well, you know, Red Shoes is giving them a little bit more because nobody wants to see this match end in a DQ. Like, you know, right. nobody, you know, that Red Shoes' ass would be on the line if he made a DQ, so he's letting them go or whatever." And Jim Ross has done that throughout the last thirty years. He did it in WCW. He did it in WWF. He, he always did that stuff. He always let that stuff go and was good at covering that because he used to be a competent pro wrestling announcer. And that's part of it. Is like you said. Letting it, letting the audience know that hey, look, yeah, they're not gonna maybe the ten counts gonna be a little slow or whatever. The twenty counts, gonna, they're they're gonna let this match this 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 match. The referee wants you, the fans, and the people in the audience and the company. They need to see a winner here. They don't want to see a DQ. They don't want him to be you know the guy controlling the outcome of this match or whatever. So he's gonna let some things go. It's just, like you said, it's just that easy to cover for that. Yeah, and that's what all good pro wrestling announcers do. It's what Mauro Ronaldo did when he called the product. And it's like you know the Young Bucks stuff and the tag matches. Instead of constantly harping on. He doesn't know who the legal man is, and the referee uh, isn't doing his job. All he has to say is, well, you know, this is that trademark Young Bucks style. They like to create chaos. It makes it very hard for the referee. That's it. You've, that's it. You've covered for everyone by saying that or something similar to that. It's very simple. He is, he is he's on purpose going out of his way to bury the referee bury the wrestlers in the ring who are, who are doing things that he doesn't like because he doesn't personally like it. 
Now, I don't give a single shit if Jim Ross doesn't like the New Japan product. But he should not be conveying that to viewers. It's his job to at least make us think that he's just that he does enjoy it and that he's calling it uh you know pro- he's not calling it properly and he's and it's rubbing off on Barnett because you know I tweeted something similar to this but I let Barnett off the hook to some extent because poor Josh Barnett thinks he's calling wrestling from another era he doesn't understand that this isn't Ironhead Fujita and fucking Shinya Hashimoto and Josh Barnett in the ring and that's a different era of New Japan he doesn't get it now, and Jim Ross, he's feeding off, like Iron Mike Spears made a great point. Barnett's feeding off of Jim Ross's grumpiness, and it's bringing Barnett down. It, Jim Ross is the professional here who's been doing it for 30 years. It's his job to lead Josh Barnett and set up Josh Barnett and make sure that Josh Barnett is just uh, sticking to. But Barnett is just feeding off of Jim Ross now, and, and, and he's falling into this bullshit. And, because Barnett didn't do this with Mauro Ranallo. No, no, he was good. He was very good. We loved his commentary. We, we raved about it. Because it was it. different, and it was yeah. calm and reserved, and he called the holds, and it came off different than everybody else. And he explained things about holds that no one else really explains, and they made you think a little more about what the... Re- but with Ross, he's going down that same horrible uh, path because Ross is leading him to it. Jim Ross doesn't... It is a paycheck for Jim Ross, and that's the problem. And he's openly burying it because he doesn't have any... He clearly doesn't have a boss. They're not being produced. And I have no idea whether New Japan finds this acceptable. If I was New Japan, now here's the tricky part, Rich. Here's the tricky part. They don't work for New Japan. Right. They work for Axis. This is more of a situation like in Japan where the announcers work for the network. Like Mexico, I think, where also the announcers work for the network. We're used to, in American pro wrestling, the, the, the announcers work for the promotion. Okay? So... New Japan, I suppose, could put pressure on Axis to can these guys if they if, if this bothered them and they and they didn't like it. But Axis is under no obligation to get rid of these guys. From what I understand, uh, Mark Cuban's a huge fan of Jim Ross. I guess they still feel Jim Ross. Now here here's the thing. It was very look to deny that Jim Ross didn't bring attention to Wrestle Kingdom Nine or whatever it was is it would be foolish. It's very clear he sold pay per views with his presence. I also think it's very clear that Jim Ross's presence on Axis drew viewers to New Japan. But I think the longer we get into this thing, the, 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 you get diminishing returns when it comes to that. I don't. Be- I think once people try New Japan, it's the wrestling that's going to keep them. No right, one's going to keep that's, coming that's what back I said. to like, play-by-play yeah, we're, play guy. We're two or three years into like him converting people. If you haven't converted yet because, oh my God, I know Jim Ross then you're probably not going to. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's, they've, they've hit you over the head with the fact that Jim Ross is the commentator. At this point, I don't know that his benefit is all that much. Yeah, if you like the wrestling, you're coming back every week. If, you did, if it wasn't for you, you're not. No one's tuning in just to hear Jim Ross at this point anymore. He was a great way, as a, he was an icebreaker. He was a gateway. I don't think they'd lose a thing by getting rid of Jim Ross. Um, but, you know, and to, at this point, he's clearly a detriment. He was awful. Um, and, 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 and at this point, he's intentionally awful. He knows, Jim Ross knows better. He knows that's not how you call pro wrestling. He knows his job is to cover for the referees and to cover for inconsistencies in the rules. Not exploit them to the viewer. He knows that. Like you said, he's done it for years. He called the fucking Attitude Era. Right, where every single Stone Cold main event would be 
them brawl in the ring for a minute and then they go outside and they brawl in the crowd for 25 minutes. And then, you know what I mean? The referee would never, yeah. and he would say it all the time. He would say that thing that we're saying like, oh, well they're going to, you know, Earl Hebner's letting them go here because you know, this is match for the title or whatever. Like just have a look like that. One little thing like that. You're good. You're ready to go. And it's like the thing that I always bring up too. And, and, and we had let him off the hook a little bit for, for, you know, a little while of, Oh, the unfamiliarity. He doesn't know the moves. He doesn't know all this or whatever. I mean, this guy is what three years, two, three years in a w- weekly watching new Japan recording, you know, voiceovers for it. I mean, Access is, is churning out New Japan content with Jim Ross as the guy doing it. Like, if you haven't retained... I mean, that's where you say that. It's not only, like, him getting tongue-tied or him just getting mixed up or whatever. He's actively, like, saying that I don't give a shit. Bushi or someone, ah, who cares? Who gives a shit? Because if you cared, if you had any pride in your job, a, a job that you've been doing for years and years and years now, that you would know that. You would know some of the moves. He doesn't know any of the moves. He doesn't know any of the moves that set up moves. He knows none of the stories. He, he's reading off notes when he does. I mean, there's one point where Hiromu came out, and he's like, oh, I think that's Daryl, the, the cat, and that's what my notes say here, is that I'm supposed to say it's Daryl or what? Like, shit like that. Just like, what are you doing? Like, why are you here then? You know what I mean? Yeah, because, At some point, because have clearly... some fucking pride and cash and, and give him the check back and just say, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm not. I have no pride in my work. You, you, stop paying me. You, you're, he... you're wasting your money with me. But, you know, hey. Anyone defending Ross or listening to this and think we're being hard, would he do this uh, working for Bill Watts? Would he do this working for WCW? Would he do this working for Vince McMahon? I mean, really think about that. Would he call matches this way when he was working for Smoky Mountain and Jim Cornette? Would he, would, you know, what would, Jim Cornette would fire him on before the match was over. <laughs> he'd, if he'd get Joey buried, Styles. If, yeah, he'd get Joey Styles treatment. Where he's yeah, he, Jim yeah. Cornette would fire Jim Ross on the air before the match was over if he buried Brian Hildebrand the way that he buried Red Shoes on this show. I mean, am I wrong, Rich? No. <laughs> He'd slap him, too. He'd fire him on the air and, and take the headset and finish the match himself. I mean, are you kidding me? Jim Ross knows better. Barnett doesn't know better. Barnett still thinks it's fucking, you know, 2002. You know, whatever with Barnett. And I know that Barnett, if led properly, can be, can be good. You know, it, it, it's 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 the same thing like at your job. You have that one sour egg at your fucking He brings everyone's fucking mood down. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, for sure, yeah. And it, that's what Jim Ross is now to, to Barnett. He's just this negative energy guy who's bringing him down because he's not happy with what he's calling. You know, if I'm New Japan, if I'm New Japan, I insist that he's removed from the shows. Insist. Or I cease doing business with Axis. If I'm Harold May, Jim Ross doesn't call another New Japan match ever again. Because I do think he's that detrimental. I, I I really believe that. Yeah, I was I'm big on the optics of those people that first come in, and I and I, I criticize WWE a lot of times for the stuff that they do. Like I say, where when if you were the first time viewer and you're hearing, oh, the Monster Among Men gives you know KO the you know the and you're like, what the fuck language is this? What are you talking about? Like I'm big on the optics of that first time person that's kind of clicking on. If if this is your first time, maybe you're a wrestling fan or whatnot, and you click on the New Japan, and this guy is burying the referees, talking about the you know everybody's a reference to Randy Orton or, or, or somebody he knows. Somebody's a reference to anything WWE. Doesn't know the stories. Doesn't know the moves. Doesn't convey emotion when the match deserves a little bit more of the emotion. Like, stuff like that where, where you know, that's a big optics thing. And if I'm some of those guys, and I, if I'm New Japan, I look at that and go, hey, look, 
there's somebody that's probably clicking on listens to him that says ah this is just yeah this is all right this thing's all right not no nah, i don't get the hype i don't get it and you i and, and i'm not saying you need to have a guy here that's just a total 100 percent cheerleader for new japan i mean obviously that's probably a good thing to have because it's your commentary for your, your shows or whatever so you want a guy but you want a guy that at least especially in new japan which is it, it very much prides itself on on logic and, and and storytelling and things like that you want a guy that can convey that properly that can convey the stuff kevin kelly is a guy who when he first started was a little rough around the edges but busted his ass and now is 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 a net positive to that if you watch a ran- if you're gonna watch some random g1 show that he does a, a night two or whatever he is gonna tell you the stories he's gonna tell you the background he's gonna convey the emotion of the matches and that's what you need out of your pro wrestling commentators you do not need jim ross babbling on about nonsense and complaining about the referees and complaining about the guardrails we'll talk we'll get to the guardrail thing here in a little I, bit but i will th- let me say something about kevin kelly okay in terms of doing homework, um, you know, he knows who's winning these meaningless six man tasks. I was watching a li- the last Lions Gate show uh, the other day um, from last month that I that I hadn't watched yet, and he was talking about Lions Gate results from the month before, right? With when people were in the ring, I mean, and it really doesn't matter whether that's coming off the top of his head or whether he's reading it off a fucking cage match. The point is, he's doing his job and he's doing his homework, and he's giving information to the viewer. And this was a Lionsgate show. An English, uh, the English language feed of Lionsgate. How many people are fucking watching? Right, to 200 tops. You know what I mean? Like 200 to 500 people are probably watching that thing. Okay, and it's Dinosaur Takuma. In the fucking, <laughs> right, like, you're probably skipping that too, even if you are watching it's, it. It's, you know, it, but you know, he has, like you said, it, it, he started off shaky, but once he learned, and now he's calling the shows and he studies, he knows who's winning matches, he knows how they're winning matches. Listen to the detail of Kevin Kelly. And the way he calls the match, he's he's doing just an exemplary job, a tremendous job, um, you know. And 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 it 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 even it amplifies how badly Jim Ross is mailing it in, and that's exactly what he's doing. He's mailing it in. I haven't watched the the weekly, um, you know, Axis show in a long time. The last time I watched him and Barnett, they were fine, but on these live shows, they are fucking. It's 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 gone from bad to atrocious. Yeah. And and yeah, I I, we're, I don't think we'll complain about it anymore because we've done the last two times they've had these shows we've had the same rants and if nothing changes then and we're at a point where just throw your hands up but yeah he's it, they're they're real bad here but well now uh, at this point we've got one of the guys jumping into the ring <laughs> right yeah right which you know I look I had no idea live whether it was a work or a shoot um, it certainly came off like a work because the announcer is climbing into the ring and the wrestler is scurrying away um. But, you know, Dave Meltzer reported that it was all shoot, that they were mad that Jay White whipped Juice Robinson into the guardrail. Jim Ross supposedly has a broken rib or something. And Josh Barnett was legitimately going after Jay White, which how can he still be employed if that's the case? (laughs) How can New Japan? he, He nearly disrupted the show. What if he would have gotten a hold of Jay White? Was he planning on choking him out? Was he planning on beating him up? I mean, he got into the ring unscripted. So how are how are Gato and Harold May and Rocky Romero, whoever's in charge of these decisions, how are they not insisting that this guy is never at ringside again? Look, I understand he's probably, you know, he's pals at Rocky Romero going, you can't do that. You can't hop in the ring and threaten to beat up a wrestler. I mean, I understand what happened to Ross is unfortunate. But I mean, I, you know, I'm sure Jay White wasn't trying to break his rib. Although, by the way, he was calling the matches. Maybe he was. 
But, I mean, this is outrageous now. I mean, they almost ruined the entire show. I don't know. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see... If I'm New Japan, they can't. They cannot call another match. They just can't. Where, where do you stand on that? This guy hopping in the ring. Yeah, we'll, we'll see about that one. I, I know some stuff came out a little bit more. We'll, we'll talk about it when we talk about the match uh, as well. But yeah, there's been okay, some stuff. Well, I, it, it's, kind of, it, it's weird reports. I don't know. I, nobody seems to have... I, I feel like at one point, I'm trying to look at the tweets now. I thought Ross said that they had talked and everything's fine or something. Like that. I, I don't know what the hell to believe anymore with that thing. But, uh, well, yeah, if we'll he wants that. to keep his fucking job, I mean, I, I don't know. I, to me, that's just... Now, look, did it make for great live television? Absolutely. Because I didn't know what was going on, and I no, thought I mean, if it was an angle, great. I mean, if if even if it wasn't an angle, I would play it up now. You know what I mean? Like I would right. now say, okay, we got something here. If you guys can work together, we can really do something with this. And I thought it it, it was great for Jay White. <laughs> I mean, incredible moment. Yeah, my first I mean, thought one of those was happenstance things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my first thought was they're setting up a Jay White Josh Barnett match. What the fuck? You know, but I, you know, I who knows now? I don't know. So, do you want to go over the show now, or what? How yeah, real, to... real quickly. Here's the here's the tweet that okay. Jim Ross said. This is from July eighth. He said, "Jay White NZ, which uh, on Twitter is a good kid. He and Juice Robinson did the right thing after the show. Good learning experience for us all." So, okay. Know. So they apologized for uh, you know the, the the guardrail spot, I guess. And you know, I I don't know. I I I find that unacceptable and totally unprofessional. Um, you know, I I I would not accept that. Um. I, they wouldn't call another match for me. I don't, right. Well, I don't, also, I'm, 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 if I'm access TV, I don't really like a guy dropping multiple f bombs on the air. You know, it's it's you know I know it's it's 2018 and and whatever, but yeah, they were explicit and loud f bombs. You know. Yeah, I mean on TV, which is you know that that could be an issue. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I, I I'm not sure where they you know sort of rank or what the the cable you know what 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 sort of the the damages are. But I know any normal TV station would not be really happy with a guy dropping multiple f bombs on the air. Live, They're a so. weird network. I mean, they don't subscribe to Nielsen. Um. I don't know if they fall under the auspices of the FCC. I don't know if I think they, they would fall have under. to. I think they would have well, to. Well, I mean, right? I don't know. Well, like HBO and Showtime and page pay channels, you could use whatever kind of language you want. I don't know. Right, right. So I don't know where they fall in terms of that. Um, so you know, did it offend me? No. Um, I don't think New Japan is marketed towards families or kids necessarily. So did it? Did it? I don't know. That didn't bother me so much. Now, if it did break some kind of, um, you know, FCC regulation or rule, that's another reason to fucking, you know, it, it, you just can't, you cannot behave this way. But um, I don't know. Let's go over the card. Yeah, let's do it. So we'll start with the opener, not the opener, the main event here. I'm not going to do the opener. That would be excruciating. Uh, Kenny Omega uh, defends his IWGP Heavyweight Championship against Cody in the main event here. Went a little over 30 minutes. I enjoyed this a lot more than I thought it would. It was a lot more methodical than your, your what you've know, been getting from Kenny Omega so far this year. A little bit less, you know, chaotic, less, you know, kind of kickouts, more of kind of a uh, a big company sort of style main event here. But I thought it was pretty good. I thought Cody did, took a lot of high risks, and I think they were way more methodical and, and, and patient about the big spots that they did. But overall, I really, I really enjoyed it. I don't think it was not obviously not a match of the year, not anything that I think anybody has to you know drop everything and go watch. But I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty solid. I saw, you know, a lot of people didn't like this match. I thought it was really, I thought it was really good. Um, yeah. I thought this blew away their New Orleans match. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. There was a lot less. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right with you, too. 100% better than the New Orleans match, which I, I enjoyed that one from, like, kind of the storyline and the spectacle standpoint of it. But uh, I, I thought this one was a way better match match than, than that one. I thought it was a deftly paced 34 minutes. I'm shocked looking at this that it was 34 minutes. Um, 
But, you know, look, there's a lot going on with Kenny Omega right now, though. And I think that, um, okay, number one, I think there's a lot of fans that just aren't happy with a Kenny Omega-Cody IWGP heavyweight title match main eventing a New Japan show. I think that was working against it. I think Kenny Omega coming off of, uh, you know, Chase and gate um, has a lot of people upset and has uh, lost some fans. I think people are annoyed about that. I think there's still people annoyed with Kenny Omega, um, you know, calling the Japanese New Japan wrestlers uh, lazy. I think there's a lot of people that that's gotten under their skin. And quite honestly, Rich, and um, I might get some heat for this, but I just I think it's the truth. I think there's a lot of people that are mad that Kenny Omega is not Tetsuya Naito. And it's him in the top spot right now and not Naito. So I think there's a lot of things working against Omega right now uh, among a lot of the hardcore New Japan base. And to throw in the fact that he's working against a guy like Cody, who a lot of people don't want to see in new Japan. And this match was working with a lot of obstacles before the bell rang. Um, in my opinion, for all of those reasons, uh, I don't mind. I look, look, I'm a Kenny Omega fan. I enjoy Kenny Omega and I don't mind Cody anymore. I think Cody has earned his new Japan stripes. Um, because I think that the bullet club storylines have been good. I think that the, Kenny Omega, Cody stuff has been good. Um, and I think that Cody, uh, ever since Wrestle Kingdom with the Ibushi match, goes out there and has an, a more than acceptable match. Uh, do I want to see Cody in a G1? I don't. Um, do I think we're going to see him in one at some point? Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm not as offended by his presence as I was. I think he's 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 earned his stripes. And uh, just watching the match from that perspective where I don't mind that Kenny Omega is champion, I don't care about Kenny Omega's worked promos about the new Japan Japanese talent. Um, you know, I, I still don't know where I stand on the chase. It's just, I like Omega. So I didn't come in with any of those sort of hangups coming into the match. I honestly, I think a lot of people did. And that's not to say that people are pretending not to like the match. If you didn't like the match, you didn't like the match. It's fine. I could see why people wouldn't like this match. I thought it was an awesome match and blew away New Orleans and way exceeded my expectations. I didn't think the match was going to be this good. I think one thing that's that's kind of interesting about Cody, and, and I'm right with you as well. I think one thing that's that's helped a lot of, of it is, is as you said, he sort of, and it took a little while. It took a while for him to shed sort of a lot of his WWE sort of style, his WWE main, mid-card or his, his main event, whatever you want to call it, his the style that he kind of worked, because he was super methodical about everything, slow, rest holds, you know, things like that. I think now what's, what's been really cool about him is he isn't Kenny. Obviously, he's not going out there and throwing 15 moves in a row. He's not Kenny Omega. He's not wrestling like Kenny Omega. He's like a very interesting blend, and I thought this match in particular showed sort of what he's gotten to. He's still going to do some weird, you know, kind of crazy stuff. He's going to still take that, you know, power bomb through the table or whatnot. He's still going to do some stuff. There's going to be a little bit of kickouts. It's going to feel a little bit like a modern New Japan main event, but it's also going to feel a lot like any other sort of big-time main event in, in, in any sort of American wrestling promotion. And I think that's kind of fun. It's a nice little interesting blend. It was a different change of pace in this match. To sort of see him work a little bit, still going to get those big spots. You're still going to get those big moments or whatever, but be a little bit more methodical about it. Be a little bit more, you know, take your time with a little bit. I thought they, they were really well-paced in terms of not going right into the next big spot right away, kind of letting it simmer a little bit. Whereas normally with Kenny Omega, and I'm not complaining because I love it, uh, Kenny Omega Okada, I mean, that stuff sometimes is like, you know, boom, 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 boom. You're not getting that with that. You're getting boom, a lot, a little bit of time, and now boom. Before with Cody, it would be 
a boom and then you would get like pretty much nothing for you know 15 minutes or whatever and then the boom and then it's the finish or whatever so you're starting to see them sort of adapt a little bit so i think that's been good and i think a lot of it plays into the characters as well i mean these guys have done an incredible job building these characters building this bullet club storyline i mean i couldn't have given a shit about the bullet club two years ago i wanted them away gone never heard from again and now i'm on the edge of my seat trying to figure out what the next step is with this bullet club story and obviously we'll talk about the post-match now where you know, Kenny beats Cody, obviously, retains the title, as, as most of us suspected he would do. Um, they, you know, Cody starts walking to the back. He's long gone. Kenny kind of hangs out in the ring, does his promo or whatnot. He starts walking to the back. Then you get Tamatonga, Tangaloa, and, and King Haku who come out, and it looks like they're just going to kind of celebrate. Kenny's like, all right, whatever. You know, these guys are here to celebrate, whatever. And then they start beating him down. They get in the ring. They start beating him down, beating him down, beating him down. The bell rings. You know, you get the long stuff. Cody comes out. He actually helps Kenny Omega. Kenny and Cody sort of unify against this new unit in Tamatanga, Tangaroa, and, uh, and and King Haku, the, the Tongan you know, Bullet Club unit or whatever. So a lot of really cool stuff. Like, what is the next step? And oh my god, Joe, King Haku was in like a major New Japan storyline in 2018. He file drove Kenny Omega, for God's sakes. Like, King fucking Haku. What is going on? Yeah. I mean, you know, Haku, who makes sporadic appearances as part of the Bullet Club, usually around Wrestle Kingdom time. Uh, yeah, it was really cool to see him involved in a... In, one of the biggest angles of the year in New Japan. And yeah, it's very obvious that the Kenny Omega Cody thing is now over. Uh, this was the blow off. Cody came down. Uh, there was questions what side he'd be on. He sided with Bullet Club. I don't know what the Samoan group is going to, or the Islander group, I guess, because it's, I guess it's more than just Samoan or Tongans. Right. Yeah. I, I feel it's not Tongans anymore. The firing squad. Tongans. And yeah, yeah bad, so. bad luck folly as we're recording this. I think he's now he put somewhat out in there. Yeah. And then Hikalua is trying to get in on there. I don't know if he's actually in there quite yet, but he's, he's yeah, trying. Hanare, like Hanare. Hell to, Hanare, yeah, the former Hanare is trying to get in there, too. So I don't know if he's official and then yet. I guess when Leo Tonga returns, he'd be part of it as well. Oh, of course. Yeah, Leo Tonga, yeah. Uh, but the, and they left Bone Soldier out of it, uh, which I thought was interesting, because he was in the building. He worked earlier in the night. He did not involve himself in the angle on either side. So we don't know what's going on with, with Taiji Ishimori. We know that Fale has sided with the Tongans. Um, you know, Chase Owens... They beat him down, so the honorary Tongan thing is over. Uh, so he is, uh, you know, on the side of the of the Bullet Club. And Which remember, is pretty he, tragic. That's pretty tragic. Well, remember, he was a guy bad. riding the fence because he was the honorary Tongan, but he was also aligned with Kenny and Kota. He was there, you know, he'd been teaming with those guys on a lot of shows as a pin eater, but, you know, he was their guy. So he ends up uh, falling on that side of things. He tried to be a peacemaker. He got beat up. Um, so, yeah, huge angle. So I don't know if they're going to form another faction or if it's just going to be more Bullet Club Wars and they're all going to use the Bullet Club name. We don't know yet. Um, so, you know, maybe we will have another a splinter faction. Uh, there's certainly enough bodies for it. I, you know, I don't think that's an issue. Um, you know, once they're all healthy and aligned, and especially if Hanare does join, I mean, there's plenty of bodies. So we'll see what happens with that. But I thought it was a great angle, a tremendous angle. It looked like an absolute riot. Um, and hey, you know, this is Tamatanga's chance. He's going to be the leader of this, obviously. This is his chance to really step up and see if he can become a mainline New Japan star. And I know there's a lot of people going, wait, that's crazy. But listen, if you're the leader of a faction in New Japan, I mean, that gives you an opportunity to be a top guy. Um, you know, we talked about in our G1 preview that he kind of lets us down every year and we've kind of given up the ghost on him. We'll see. Maybe with this kind of motivation. That we'll, this is a huge G1 for Tamatanga. This oh, he was, become... and, and, and yeah, and don't and no question, he was the guy. I mean, he was the man. This was him. This yeah. was his doing. He was in the center of it. He's the. 
I mean, anybody who thinks that this is anything else but a Tomatonga-led group, you're, you're, you're nuts. I mean, he was the guy here, for better or for worse. We'll see how it goes, but yeah. he was the man in this. This is, this is a big opportunity for him, huge opportunity. And New Japan, a long time, and loyal, too, and he could have left. Had the offer on the table. Um, same thing with Fallen. You know, so it's like, um, you know, and, and, and bided his time, and uh, they've always teased friction between, you know, the Tongans and the rest of Bullet Club, and, so, yeah, I thought it was a killer angle, and we'll see where it goes. And this is a huge G1 for Tomatanga. He has gone from a guy who I think was going to score like four points to now he's going to get big scalps. He's going to get some big wins in this thing. Because um, if they don't, then this doesn't have the edge that it, you know, you kind of lose the edge. So, you know, he's a guy that's that's going to pick up some big-time wins, I think, especially the block he's in with some of the people he's going to be wrestling that have a lot to do with with this angle. So really enjoyed the match. I think Cody is a guy who, when you allow him to have these shortcuts, can have a match like this. Yeah. Um, I think the Abushi Wrestle Kingdom match was the aberration. That was a great match with no shortcuts. If you let him have shortcuts, he'll find a way to have a match like this. It's a straight match where he struggles to at least work at this level. But um, I really like the main event a lot, and I really love the angle. I'm right with you on that. I'll move on to the U.S. Uh, heavyweight championship match. You have Juice Robinson defeating Jay White to win the title. This, I think, I'm, I'm kind of looking at my notes right now. I believe, nah, maybe not match of the night, but right up there for it. Tied for it, maybe right up there. I fucking love this match, Joe. I know you did too, so I'll let you kind of start off before I get my thoughts. But yeah, I really, really love this match. This is my match of the night, and I think it's going to get match of the year support. Um, th- this was a star maker for both guys. I think that this was Jay White's coming out party. If, if this is the Jay White we're going to get moving forward, then he's going to be every bit the star that that we and others have predict, predicted that he could be. Uh, this was, Jay White was phenomenal. He's really, it's like we always say, when these guys come back from excursion, they have new characters, give them a little time to find their footing. Give them a little time to figure out how to work with their gimmick, as opposed to working in the black trunks. And Jay White, you know, remember, we're only seven months removed from Wrestle Kingdom, where he kind of shit the bed against Tanahashi. It's not even been a year, you know? It's like, you know, he really seems like a guy who's, who's he, he had a handle on the gimmick outside the ring from day one, but now he's got the hand, and we know he's a talented wrestler, but now he's really starting to get a handle of what he's supposed to be in the ring as Switchblade Jay White. And a lot of people, a lot of people are going to eat words when it comes to Jay White. I'm telling you right now, this guy is going to be a superstar. Juice Robinson, again, this was the, 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 like you talked, we talked about him a little bit earlier when you're saying a guy who was slowly built up, the losses to Goto, the, the, the always coming up short in the title matches. And, and he finally, Rich, I don't know about you. This, this shocked me and I jumped off my couch when he, yeah, I was doing the same. I was like fist pumping. I was like, yeah, you did it. Like, I, you know, why do I, I don't care really, but I did. Like I did. I didn't, like I was excited for the man. I was happy. And like the crowd, that crowd too was so awesome too for, for they all on board for juice Robinson and juice played it up well too. I mean, he's hugging red shoes. He's, you could tell this was a guy who actually, you know, yeah, it's, it's just a dumb title or whatever in a company, but he felt like this is a super important moment as he should have. This oh, was yeah. the culmination of a lot of hard work. Absolutely. Sucking it up. This is the culmination of him telling NXT to go shove it and, and betting on himself and coming in as a young lion. And yeah, this is just, you know, again, we kind of, we've overdone the, this is the biggest moment of Juice Robinson's career thing over the last, you know, two years or whatever. But this was again, like another culmination of, Oh my God, like, 
I went on this journey and this is where I'm at. I'm at this moment and oh my god, I can't believe this is happening. So yeah, I was happy. I rooted. I had my fist bump and I was like, yeah, let's go, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I wasn't expecting him to win and he did. And um, yeah, just yeah, I think this was a, this match. I believe elevated both guys. I I, I believe that, and that's so rare. And um, you know, and, and I don't think I'm I'm overstating it at all. You know, and I think Jay White. Losing this title is good for his career. I think they're clearing the deck for him. And I think that he undoubtedly, undoubtedly is beating Okada on night one. Um, and and probably, and like I said, I think he has a legitimate shot to to make a real noise in the G1. As we'll talk in, about that in a bit. You're not alone. You're not alone. We'll talk about that here yeah, in a sec. But. I, and I think losing this title clears clears that path for him. He has a legitimate shot to go to the finals and more. I, I believe that. You know, because I, I, remember, they could always lose the case. I don't think they'd be so bold as to main event him, but um, and I guess that's a discussion for later, but uh, it, it, people, listen, listen, people. Jay White's a superstar. You know, either get on board now or, or don't dig your heels in on this one. I'm telling you. This was a tremendous performance, and you know, we talked about the, the, the Barnett stuff already, but I've seen people go as high as as three and three, uh, four and three quarters on this. I mean, it's a great match. It really was a great match, and to me, it was the matchup. Yeah, we're super well worked too, and I think that's the thing that that, oh, yeah. that White, you know, White's character has always been pretty solid, and it, it, you can tell that it's working as well because he is not a cool heel. He is detestable. People fucking hate him, and that's Thank you. it's perfect. Yep. It's great. He's not the, genuine you know, he's not heel smirking. heat. Yeah, he's not smirking like, ah, yeah, you hate me, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just is like, fuck off, I don't give a shit what you guys think about me, fuck off, I don't care, I'm just a, a big smarmy prick, and like, you know what I mean? Like, he just does not give a shit, and the crowd feasted on that, and that was, you know, Juice was a great babyface, of course, he, he he worked well, but, and and credit to Juice, because, I mean, if you don't have a solid babyface in there, they could go that way, but the fact that you had Juice, who was all on board, Juice is a guy they can get behind, they can rally behind that crowd, but Jay White, man, the heat in that building for Jay White was next level. And then the Barnett thing happened, whether it's accident or not, and that took it to an absolute crazy level. Like I had yeah. no idea in my mind that this match would be as hot as it was. I mean, this crowd was molten. And like, if you haven't seen this match and you don't know what, like, we're not kidding. Like, this is the biggest crowd reactions of the entire show was this match, and it was booing for Jay White and cheering for Juice. You have there nothing else on the show would ever met that as close. It was nuts to see how how crazy this crowd was for it. And that's a super big credit for, for both these guys who are not, you know, right now, quote unquote, top stars or whatever. So more power to him. But what I was going to say is Jay White's character has always kind of been there, but the wrestling is really starting to get there too. He's getting it. He's understanding a little bit more. He's, he's honing in on it a, a little bit more. I mean, this one too, what I thought was really cool is, um, you know, Jay White really is controlling like half the match, it, you know, for the most part, he's controlling almost all of it. And again, like that's why I, I kind of thought the Barnett thing was a work because that was really a big turning point in the match as well. Like Jay White kind of loses focus, and then Juice hits that side rush and leg sweep off the apron or whatever, and that's like just like a hope spot of all hope spots where Juice is like, "All right, I'm gonna you know take this fucking stupid risk. We'll see if it pays off. I have no idea, but I want I really need to win this or I really want to win this." And he does the you know a dumb move, the side rush and leg sweep off the apron, and it fucking works. Like you know from that point on, he's ready to go, and he kind of gets the momentum and gets it back and gets it back, and then he just wins, and it's like. You know, Jay White wasn't dead to rights. It wasn't like Jay White laid on the mat because Juice had just beaten him. Jay White got up immediately and was just like, oh, shit, I really lost to Juice Robinson. And Juice is, you know, has kind of a, oh, my God, I can't believe I won that. So I thought that was just, like, super well worked, fun match. I mean, I think both guys, like you said, got over from it. And that's that's all you can really ask for uh, in this. But, yeah, the semi-main event delivered 
well beyond, I think, anyone's expectations. Old, yeah. Jay White gets old school heel heat. You can count on one hand the people in wrestling who get that these days. So I'm glad you brought that. He's up. impossible to like. How could you like him? You know what I mean? Like, he's just a, he's annoying. Like, yeah. he's, you know, and he, and he does a really good job of bridging the gap of, like, you know, legit heat where it's just like, get the hell off my TV. I don't want to see you. Because you kind of get that at times, but then you also realize, like, oh, man, he's just doing a great job of it. Because I do find myself kind of like, ah, you're annoying as fuck. And I'm like, oh, you know what? You're doing a good job then. Because it's like, but I don't find anything cool about him. He doesn't sound, he's not fun to me in, in any way what, whatsoever. But that's good. That's that's really what you want. And it's very rare, you know, in today's wrestling, like you said. Yeah, for sure. And, and a lot of guts making this the uh, semi-main event of the show. And then trusting yeah. him to go out there and deliver. Gato's got some balls. I mean, we've said it over the years, but, um, you know, it, it's it's, you know, I don't know. It worked out, though. It sure worked out. So, All right, so now the next match, one that was much talked about uh, after the show, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about the match itself first and then kind of move on here. Uh, uh, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship, Hiromu Takahashi, uh, the champion, defeats Dragon Lee, retains his title. Um, crazy match. I just put madness in my review. Just these guys just continue to raise the bar uh, in, in terms of matches that these guys have had. I mean, obviously, if you, if you have not watched the stuff that they did in Mexico and the stuff that they've done in Japan at Fantasca Manias and whatnot, go out of your way and check this out. I mean, this entire story and feud is, is, is next-level stuff. And they continue to raise the bar and raise the bar and raise the bar. This one may have raised the bar a little bit too much. There was some crazy-ass shit in this match. And, of course, uh, the big spot, and I think the thing we got we absolutely have to talk about, the big story coming out of this, was the Phoenix Plex that Dragon Lee uh, tried to perform on Hiromu. Uh, didn't bridge him. I don't know exactly what happened, but Hiromu appeared to land on his neck, on his face. Uh, Dave Meltzer reported you know, the day after, or I think the night of, that uh, it was believed that Hiromu may have had a broken neck. Then some other reports said neck injury, and then we now know that he flew back to Japan and is rehabbing a, quote, neck injury. So nobody else has said broken neck except for Dave that the day, the day immediately after. And even then, he sort of guarded it by saying it is it is believed, or he reportedly, or he may have a broken neck or whatever. So, um, Joe, first off, before we kind of talk about the injury stuff, what did you think of the match itself and these two dudes? Uh, continuing to raise the bar uh, and continuing to just amaze me with what the hell these guys are capable of doing. These guys always have great matches. This was another one, but I did think um, of all the matches I've seen them have, and I think I've seen all of them. Um, this was with the exception of that one ring of honor match that they had in front of the crowd that didn't care. Um, this was the worst of their series, which is still, you know, a four-star match. Right, right. Yeah. To clarify, you still loved it, right? Oh yeah. It's a great match. Um, but it, it was, you know, you know, the Ring of Honor match was the only one to me that 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 um, you know that this was better than though in terms of their entire series. But yeah, these guys always fucking deliver. Um, you know, the the Phoenix Plex spot, of course. Now Hiromu finished the match. I mean, you know, he um, they got a fucking up. Canadian destroyer. I mean, for yeah. God's sakes, like, and and I mean, he flew home. Uh, right. You know, uh, two or three days later or whatever. So, uh, you know, I don't think it's as dire as people feared. Or they wouldn't have let him get on a plane and fly home to Japan. And, and, he, and he, you know, you could finish the match on adrenaline um, and still be seriously hurt. Um, and I'm not trying to downplay. I mean, it's scary that, you know, any anything with the neck is is terrifying. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's it you know, the Phoenix Plex is a very dangerous move, especially the release variety. Um, where you're just tossing the guy and he didn't get him all the way over. Um, you know, it's it's we've had shows like this a million and one times. If you're a longtime listener, you know where we're going with this, and we're not going to pontificate about it for an hour here. Um, you know, I I, 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 I got to be completely honest. I don't really have an opinion on this. 
It's pro wrestling. It's dangerous. And people get hurt. I don't I don't know what else to say, Rich. I mean, we've done hours on we, this. We've done the show. Yeah, we've done the show before, and I don't think we need to do it and, again. And, but and, yeah, and, it's... And, and I don't... And, and if people want to call me cold, if people want to call me heartless, I, by all means, I've been called a lot worse. <laughs> and, I, and I'll continue to be called... It's like, I, it doesn't move me. I, I, I look at it like... You know, I'm a sports fan. I look at like look, wrestling is dangerous, and unfortunately, things like this are going to happen. If you want us to get into whether they should start banning moves or New Japan style, I'm not having that conversation because I, Rich, I honestly don't care. I don't care. If you want to ban the Phoenix Plex, go right ahead. If you don't want to ban it, and if Dragon Lee wants to do three of them in his next match, again, I, I'm fine with that too. I'm okay either way. I see this as an inherently dangerous job. And quite honestly, and I say this every time too, and I still, and, and I'll stand by this. Quite honestly, I'm stunned at the lack of injuries in pro wrestling. I think these guys are amazingly good at their job at avoiding injury. Yeah, I go, every time I go to an indie show, I, 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 I walk away going, oh my God, I can't believe that that guy didn't die on that move. Or, yeah. You know what I mean? Like every time I see a move, I'm like, holy shit. Like, oh my God, I can't believe that they were able to do that. Like and and especially in, in you know different countries and we talk about too, but like I, I say that for 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 indies especially because these guys you know and we know we've talked to indie wrestlers sometimes you show up at the arena it's like all right you're facing ricochet and it's like all right cool we have like an hour to come up with our you know these guys aren't like well like Dragon Gate stuff those guys are well with machines those guys fight each other all the time they they they're in matches all the time they train together like they 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 know what they're doing everybody's kind of kind of but sometimes you go to an indie show and you got your match you know in, in an hour and a half you try to come up with your match and you kind of call it in the ring okay yeah we'll see whatever okay let's see what goes and happens and then they, they're doing Canadian destroyers and Spanish flies and through the ropes like I'm always amazed that there's not more injuries Rich, when you consider the the number of indie shows in a given week not just in the United States but in Mexico and Japan and all over right. the world now and when you consider the amount of poorly trained or flat out untrained wrestlers you know on a week in week out basis on these shows all across the world I think pro wrestling you know, there's a lot of people standing on their pedestals right now and on their soapboxes talking about how dangerous wrestling is and these guys got to cut it out. I think pro wrestling is remarkably and stunningly safe. I am stunned at how safe and, and, and the lack of injuries that we see, especially at the lower levels with guys who are untrained and trying things that they shouldn't be trying. And like you're saying, sometimes you go to these indie shows and, and you're just, I'm stunned at how safe that these guys keep each other. And, and keep themselves in pro. I think pro wrestling is remarkably safe. So I have a completely opposite take of a lot of some. I just can't get wrapped up in it. I, I accept it for what it is. I accept it for being super dangerous. And um, and and quite quite honestly, Rich, I, I expect to see someone else break their neck um, at some point in pro wrestling. I expect to see someone else die in the ring. I do. I can name 10 to 12 wrestlers who have died in the ring off the top of my head. You don't think it's going to happen again? Of course it's going to happen again. Can you help try to mitigate it? Sure. Will it still happen? Yes. So again, I really don't have a strong opinion on this. You can ban moves if you want. I don't care. You can uh, do crazier, riskier shit, and I won't care. And I, and I will stand there and applaud it and, and pop for it and, and, and be entertained by it. Shamelessly and guiltlessly, honestly. But at least I have the guts to say it. I'm not going to be one of these hypocrites who stands on a pedestal or on a soapbox and our wrestling's too, dang, and then and then tunes in next week. I'm not going to do that. I like high risk wrestling. 
I don't care if these guys want to drop themselves on their heads. It's their bodies, man. You know, it's, it's dangerous. It's going to continue to be dangerous. Um, unfortunately, things like this are going to happen. And, and, and uh, you know, whether we mitigate it or not, they're going to continue to happen. And it's unfortunate. And, and, and you don't want to see it happen. Just like when I watch the NFL every week, I don't want to see guys have net, but it's going to happen no matter, you know, what rules they put in place. You know, it's every now and then, you know, a pitcher is going to take a line drive to the face in baseball. I mean, you can't, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not particularly moved by it. I'm up, I'm upset when I see it like anybody else is. I'm glad he's okay. Um, even if he doesn't wrestle again or whatever, look, we don't know anything. But he got on an airplane and went home, which is a great sign to me. Um, you know, is what it is, man. I, I, I don't know. I, I have nothing else to say. Yeah, yeah, and I think one thing that's that's we, we always have to be careful about this too, and I and I see it so much, and, and it, it came up with this again and again. Like it, you're prefacing it by saying that you know you don't you don't care if these guys drop each other on their heads and all that sort of stuff. We're not like I mean Joe and I are not rooting, and anybody that that's that that has this sort of relative take or whatever, we're not rooting for a guy to die in the ring. We're not entertained by guys breaking their necks and getting hurt and all that sort of stuff. That doesn't entertain us. What entertains us is the the, the great in ring action, the stuff that we really enjoy, that sort of stuff. And you know it sometimes accidents do happen, but accidents happen on body slams. Accidents happen on flat back bumps. The most dangerous move in wrestling is probably a flat back bump because, by the way, it's destroying people's brains. You know, <laughs> point blank, every time that a wrestler dies and they go, oh, it, well, she didn't take that many chair shots, or oh, China, I don't remember China taking that many chair shots, dummies, it's because she's doing, she's landing on the back of her head a thousand times a night and a thousand times a day and over and over and over. I mean, that the most dangerous move in wrestling is a flat back bump. You know, the most dangerous, you know, some guys have lasted longer in wrestling by not taking that bump. Ric Flair, a DDP type, those sort of guys have lasted forever by doing that. You know, that sort of stuff. So, you know, when, when you talk about danger, I mean, God, a, a sleeper hold can be just as dangerous. I mean, things can be dangerous because sometimes things are dangerous because pro wrestling is a dangerous sport in and of itself. Things go wrong. A pile driver can break someone's neck and, and you can have hundreds of years of pile drivers and they're never being an issue whatsoever. You, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's just... It's all that sort of stuff. A power bomb can can paralyze somebody, and a power bomb can be just fine. A, a, a clothesline can can you know hurt somebody. A back body drop can kill a man. We saw it in the ring. A back body drop killed a guy, and then sometimes a back body drop can be nothing. I mean, there's so many different levels to that and layers to it. So to to, to kind of blanketly go, oh my god, well this is what's causing this and this this. And I think more than anything, don't be a doctor. You know what I mean? Like it, it, we we get so many. Pe- there was people. Oh my god, Haruma's neck's broken. He's paralyzed. He's never going to move again. Well, you know, no, you don't know that. Just chill out. Like, you don't know that. You're not the doctor. And also, it's pro wrestling. Like, I hate to be cold and heartless, and, and we've done this before, and, and and I hate to do this again because, you know, it, it think, but, like, not every injury is, is real. I mean, pro wrestling is the art of, you know, faking injuries. And I'm not saying that Haruma wasn't hurt. He probably was legitimately hurt. To me, it looked like he got, he definitely got a concussion. I thought he was knocked out 100%. I'm not trying to be one of and those he was, doctors and he was on my definitely own. In, and he was definitely in the hospital. Right, no, he was definitely, I mean, something definitely happened on that. I don't know, whether it was a broken neck, a concussion, a, a pulled muscle, whatever it was. I mean, right. he was definitely, the ref came up to him. There was definitely a, some sort of audible or whatnot. There was definitely an, okay, we got to, you know, do this, this, this. There was something wrong. There was clearly something wrong. I'm not trying to say that this was all the work. There was something obviously wrong. But, you know, Dave comes out and says, oh, well, it's reportedly a broken neck. And then we have people writing eulogies for Hiromu about, well, he's never wrestling again. And it's all our fault because we want this to happen. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, let this shit roll through. I didn't give him a move. Listen, I didn't agree to take that move. Don't blame me. What what I'm saying more than anything, though, is, is and we get this so often, I think in the age of social media, we've sort of, we say the old work is the new work. People are just 
ready to whatever this company is going to tell you, whatever reporter is going to tell you that you're going to run with that and go with that. And that's, oh my God, Haruma's got a broken neck because Dave Meltzer said it. Well, I'm not calling it a credit. This isn't, you know, a Conrad Thompson podcast. We're not going to call it a, you know, you know, but Dave is hearing reports backstage and saying reportedly Haruma's got a broken He's not saying I am reporting that Haruma's guy has a broken neck. I, t-, you know, he's just saying the rumor is or whatever, or that it's believed that he might or whatever. But we've seen Dave get worked by New Japan before. We've we've seen it by the Young Bucks. Have worked Dave numerous times. Kenny Omega has worked Dave many times. You know, we see that all the time. I, I, I'm not going to reveal the exact situation. You probably know what I'm talking about here. But we point blank had somebody in New Japan say, hey, we're saying that this guy has this, but it's actually not. It's this. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, that New Japan definitely does that. There was a situation earlier this year where they had reported an injury on a wrestler. And all of the, you know, major news sites and reporters reported that injury, taking it on. But we were told directly by the office that that wrestler had a completely different injury that they didn't want public. So they covered it up with this other injury and everybody reported it. So New Japan is, and plus all the Tanahashi stuff. Yeah, the annual Tanahashi thing of, oh my God, his bicep is torn. And then now Zack Sabre Jr. is stomping on his bicep and and twisting it and doing all that sort of stuff. It's like, all right, well, at a certain point, it's pro wrestling, right, guys? Like, what do you think, you know? So we're just saying that with New Japan, you got to be careful with what they say about injuries because they're very guarded. Look at what's going on with Kitamura. No one knows. Right, who the hell knows? Yeah, who the fuck knows? They just, they don't, it just leaks out if you're lucky to like, you know, get the talk to the right person. And we've heard things, but I don't know what, that we heard anything substantial enough to go with, and that's no, why we haven't said right. anything either, because we exactly. heard this, and then we heard that, and we was like, all right, well, those are two different things. All right, I don't know. Like, forget it. Yeah, so just, you know, you got to be careful with that stuff. And, and like Rich is saying, don't throw dirt on the body before you know the facts. And we really know nothing about Hiromu, um, other than he was healthy enough, apparently, to get on a plane and go back to Japan, which is a tremendous sign. Yeah, now, for sure. If you want to ban Phoenix Plexes, listen, I'll never notice. I don't give a shit. You want to ban the Phoenix Plex, go ahead. But if you don't ban it, you can go ahead and do that too. Same thing with the chair shots to the head. You ban chair shots to the head, I'm not going to miss them. No. But if I go to a show and somebody takes a blunt force chair shot to the head, I'm not getting wound up about it either. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt my soul or take me out of the match or hurt my enjoyment of things if I see those things. But if you want to ban them, go ahead. See, that's, that, that, that's the disclaimer Rich is trying to make. It's like, I, I, we don't want to see people get hurt. No, God, no. I mean, yeah, we don't go to shows and say, ah, man, I hope this guy breaks his neck or I hope they do something that breaks this guy's neck. But, I mean, no, if, if, if we, you know, what, what the, if, if that's what the wrestler decides that they want it, you know, not that, that nobody intends to break their neck. You know what I mean? Everybody tries to be safe and everybody tries to get through things. But I'm not going to be, I'm not going to feel guilty that I enjoy a match where a guy maybe got hurt. Right, right. You know, exactly. I'm not going to feel guilty that I enjoyed this match. That I'm I gave not going to feel guilty about enjoying wrestling because once a year someone has a serious injury. I'm, you know, I, I just I can't operate like that. Um, you know, if I felt that strongly about it, I, I wouldn't watch anymore. It just doesn't wind me up the way it winds up or depresses other people. It just doesn't, and I don't know what that says about me. You can make your own judgment on what that says about me, but one thing is certain: I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm honest about it about how I feel about it. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I, listen, I know we're going to see another wrestler die. Perro Aguayo Jr. died on, on, a, on, a, on a fluke yep. head hitting the ropes. I mean, you can't, you know, and we're going to continue seeing guys get seriously hurt and, and, and even, unfortunately, probably die. You know, it's it's well, and th- and that happened before Phoenix boxes were a thing. That happened before people yes. were doing Canadian destroyers and reverse Hurricane Ranas. You yes. know what I mean? Like, that it, it, it's just the nature of the beast, for better or for worse. I mean, yeah, it, it sucks, and it's going to be awful, and it's going to be terrible when that happens, but it's not because 
somebody does a reverse Hurricane Rana or whatever. You, you know, it, it, it's, it's going to be because it's a dangerous thing. I mean, pro wrestling is dangerous. It's, you know, simulated maybe fighting. Will, and, and maybe it will be from one of those crazy moves, or, or maybe it'll be from someone, you know, their head whipping into the ropes like Paraglouge. I, I don't, you know, it's, it's, you never, you know, who knows? All right, be, so we'll move on here. Yeah, more than anything, more to, than anything, yeah, we hope to see him again. That's, to that's me, if he's really. hopping on a plane and going home, you know, it's it's yeah, he's it's probably not nearly as bad as some people were fearing, but we'll see. I'll move on now to uh, Okada and Osprey defeating uh, Naito and Bushi. This was just a, a standard tag match, about eleven minutes or so. Uh, broken Kaz Okada. Comes out with remixed music, no robe, he's carrying balloons, he's got trash pants on. What has happened to my man, the Rainmaker? What is going on with Broken Okada here? Yeah, this combination of wrestlers have had better tag team matches. On the last tour, Okada and Osprey had great tag team matches against LIJ. This was just a, uh, this was okay. This was nothing special. Easily skippable. But Okada, yeah, I mean, no more robe. No more title. He doesn't know what to do with himself. He's wearing, you know, shirtless, uh, sleeveless yeah, t-shirts. Cut off shirts. Ring. Like he's, what has happened to Broken Okada, man? Yeah, I, I like, know. I like this. I like that they're, you know, it's, it's, he's in a different headspace. Hasn't scored a pin. Someone had the date, like he hasn't scored a pin for like, you know, a month and a half or something like that in a match. It's just, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Osprey got the pinfall here. I should say he, mm-hmm. he got the, the Stormbreaker or whatever on, on, on Bushi. So, yeah, Okada didn't even get the pin here. It, Okada didn't had nothing to do with the match. And this is actually interesting because it was very much every time guys, it almost felt like a mixed tag match, like an old classic WWF mixed tag match because it was like when Okada tagged in, Naito would tag in. When Osprey tagged in, Bushi would tag in. Like they almost didn't interact all that much outside of their, you know, weight classes or whatever, which again, like, yeah, like you said, they, they've had better ones. And this one was about 12 minutes or so. This, you know, don't go out of your way and watch this match. It was, it was fine, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't anything to really blow your doors off. Yeah, and it should be noted, too, on the RevPro shows, Okada uh, was on the losing end of a tag match and then lost to Zack Sabre Jr. in a singles match. So, you're telling a deliberate story here. You know, New Japan's not going to let RevPro book shit like that if they're not telling a deliberate... You know what I mean? It, it's, it's, it's Okada. If they want to protect him, they will. Um, so, uh, you know... And, and, and Zack Sabre Jr. scored the fall in that tag match to he, he, right. uh, on, on Ishii, and then he beat Kazuchika Okada, so he's going to have a big G1. I mean, Zack Sabre Jr. Um, elevated in the New Japan Cup and all those sorts of things, so, um, you know, Okada, he'll probably lose his first three or four matches in the G1, and then rally big and maybe win his block and maybe win the whole thing. Uh, match that I really enjoyed here, IWGP Tag Team Titles, the Young Bucks uh, defend their title successfully against Sonata and Evil Joe. I fucking love this match. The Bucks, I mean, what, what more do you have to say about the Bucks this year? I mean, we can come on here every single week and say, oh my god, the Bucks did this, and they're awesome, or whatnot, but another great performance by them. I thought more than anything, though, Sonata and Evil held their own neck and neck with this, too. This match fucking rocked. I love this one. And this was the second time. This was a notch below the Dominion match, in my opinion. I didn't think it was as good as that one, which I thought was one of the best tag team matches of the year. Um, but yeah, awesome fucking match, again. And um, two straight wins now. They win the titles from these guys, and now defend against them, so it looks like the Bucks can move on to, to something else in terms of... Uh, tag challengers for these titles. And I like that. I like that they didn't put them back on the other team. You know, New Japan falls into that habit a lot. No. Bucks won the titles, and then they successfully defended them against the same team. So we could have a little bit of a, you know, we get a meaty, def- uh, you know, title run here instead of just swapping them right back. So um, I liked everything about it. It was an awesome match yeah. and, uh, and, and the right result. Well-time ref bumps, too. I'm not big on ref bumps, but I thought this one was perfectly well done. 
and it then helped introduce a chair, which was kind of the, a, a big turning point in the match as well. But like, it was one of those perfectly well-placed ref bumps that didn't seem out of place, didn't seem totally nuts or whatever, but actually worked to, 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 to enhance the match a lot, in my mind. Yeah, I agree. All right, move on here. We got the never open weight title, Hiroki Goto, successfully defending against Jeff Cobb. Uh, what do you think of this one? I thought it was fine, okay. I, I've seen better from both these guys. I don't know. It was it was good, but I I, I thought it'd be a little bit better. I thought the bombs were pretty fun. They, these guys did, um, you know, hit a few bombs here and there. The finish kind of felt like it was out of nowhere, and that really sucked a lot of the energy out of the match. It was like really kind of getting to a point, and then it just kind of ended, and that really I think hurt it a little bit. What did you think about this one? I thought it was very good. Um, a little short of great, but I did think it was a very good match. I think Jeff Cobb's a little overrated. I think that um, I like Jeff Cobb, but his reputation supersedes his output. I think Jeff Cobb has had one great match that I've ever seen, and that was against Mike Elgin in AEW. Outside of that, I can't say that Jeff Cobb has had any great matches. I think Jeff Cobb is best served. The shorter the match, the better. I think the longer the match goes, uh, the less interesting Jeff Cobb becomes. And um, I think moving forward in New Japan, it's going to be interesting if he improves in New Japan, if he steps up his game in New Japan, uh, because I do think he's somewhat overrated as a pro wrestler. I don't think he stinks. I know how this is going to be spun. I don't think he stinks. I don't think he's terrible, but I, I, I don't think he's as good as his rep. I think he's a guy who's better um, in short spurts. I, I don't really trust him in a super long match. Um, but yeah, this was okay. This was, this was a very good match, which um, was very close to being the fifth, you know, great match on this show. I'm interested to see Cobb. Um, I, I, I'm kind of with you on the overrated thing. I think some people, you know, view him as one of the top guys in the world right now, and I don't think he's anywhere near that level right now. Though I do, I, I enjoy the way he goes about matches. I enjoy his style. He's another guy, too, that live, I think you really get a better idea. Uh, he projects a lot better live than he does on TV. But I'm, I'm interested to see, and I think he is going to fit well. If, if, the, if the U.S. expansion, which we know that they're obviously coming back, and we'll talk about that here in a bit, I think he's a great guy to have a, as a part of that expansion. And I think maybe with a little bit more familiarity, you will get better matches out of him. But yeah, I'm interested to see him sort of take that next step. He's, he's, he's good at having solid matches, but you really, you're waiting now for that next level of, oh my God, he killed in that match, or he was the best part of that match, or he made that match you know, awesome. And, and right now, he's, he's not quite at that level just yet. Yeah, no, um, I agree. I mean, I've, I've seen Goto have better matches against, like, Punishment Martinez. Yeah, right, um, right, right. You know, and, and I don't think Martinez has the rep that Cobb has. I, it sounds like I'm burying Cobb. I really like Cobb. I just think he's a little overrated. A little, bit, little yeah. overrated. Uh, we'll quickly go through the last three matches. Nothing too huge on this one. You got Hangman Page and Marty Skrull defeating uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kushida. Interesting to see Hiroshi Tanahashi third from the bottom here. But again, G1's coming up, so don't sleep on him all the way because he'll probably have an incredible G1 and everybody will be like, oh yeah, Tanahashi's good. I forgot about that. Well, he, but, took, it uh, easy. Yeah. he took it easy in New Orleans, too. Oh, for Tag sure. Tag matches. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this is, we see, we've seen this movie before. Okay. I was a little surprised that that, the, the Bullet Club team won. But outside of that, I don't have a lot of strong thoughts about this. Yeah, I got really nothing on this one. So we'll move on to the next one. You got Ishii and Yano uh, against Minoru Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. These guys had a pretty fun match <laughs> about a few, a few weeks ago. This was not it. This match kind of stunk. I hated this thing. They've been feuding uh, for a long time. I, I don't understand. Ishii and Yano have, I got to look this up. They might have more wins as a tag team in New Japan without getting a title shot than like, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, what the hell? What's what <laughs> going on here? Um, you know, Suzuki and Sabre won the last time, you know, when, when I complained that it should have been a, a, a Rev Pro tag title match. I mean, no reason it shouldn't have been, right? 
and uh, this one they 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 get their win back. So these teams have split matches. But yeah, I mean, I don't have much strong thoughts about either. Uh, and then the opener we had Bullet Club. It was King Haku, Tamatonga, Tangaloa, Yujiro Takahashi, and Chase Owens against the Chaos team of Yoshihashi, Gato, Rocky Romero. Yo and show. This was fun because Jim Ross said, well, there's a lot of men in this match, so I'm probably going to get some names wrong. So that was good way to kick off the show and <laughs> let it go. It's like already I'm going to tell you that I'm going to suck. And I'm not going to know who any of these guys are. There's 10 guys in the ring. There's no way I'm going to be able to tell any of these guys apart. Like, do you think he knows show apart from Yo? God, no, he didn't know. He called Yo. Um, who did he call Yo? He called Yo somebody and then said, oh, ah, yeah, yo. yo. He said, yo, uh, oh, yeah, he's the one with the gold pants or whatever. Because obviously his note said, yo, dash, gold pants. Because right. he was like, oh, yeah, I should know that. Yo has gold pants. Because I guarantee to you, his sheet said, yo, gold pants. <laughs> and he Fucking still jabroni. called him some. I, he didn't even call him Yoshihashi. I forgot who he called him. He called him just, maybe he called him Yoshihashi. I forget. Or maybe he said somebody that wasn't in the match. Maybe he called him Bushi. I, who the fuck knows? But either way, he got yo wrong. Like, within two minutes after saying, oh, it's going to be tough to know who these it's going to be tough to tell these guys apart. Like, no, it's not. Yujiro doesn't look anything like Yoshihashi. Tamatanga looks nothing like Gato. It's not hard to tell these people apart. If it's your first time watching, yes, it is difficult to tell these men apart. If you have watched any of these men wrestle any point ever in your life, it is not that hard to tell these people apart. Do you really, uh, did Chase Owens and King Haku really confuse you, Joe? He, I feel he, like I can pick them out of a lineup, yeah. He calls the company weekly. It's not like he doesn't, he doesn't just do this <laughs> twice a year. He, he's a weekly television commentator for this company. Oh god! But anyway, all right. Well, that's the G one special, and uh, next up is the G one proper. And the G, I know you want to plug the G one, uh, whatever the hell you call it, the pick 'em, the pick 'em. Yeah, the pick 'em. And it's, you want to uh, go over few... some numbers, right? So why don't you? Yeah, take yeah. It away? Yeah, let's have a little bit of fun here. So obviously, the pick 'em. Uh, you got a few more days until the opening night. Opening night is the fourteenth. We're going to kind of talk about a little bit of that and, and some of the upcoming shows coming up uh, before we record next. But uh, yeah, you want to obviously get your pick 'em picks in before the fourteenth. Uh, go to voicewrestling.com slash G128Pick'em is the way you're going to be able to do that. Free to enter. Some really cool prizes. Eggshells uh, by Chris Charlton. We're giving away free copies of that, a hardcover uh, and a paperback copy of that. And hopefully maybe another one as well. I think we're going to try to work out to get a digital copy for the third place as well. So people are walking away with an Eggshells book. Eggshells, if you don't know, is Chris Charlton who did uh, Lion's Pride a few years ago, The History of New Japan. This is about pro wrestling in the Tokyo Dome. So not just New Japan, any pro wrestling that happened in the Tokyo Dome is in that book, detailed, uh, really cool stuff. We got a preview copy of it. I've been checking that out. Uh, he's got some podcast companions as well uh, that he's doing at postwrestling.com. Really good stuff with that as well. Chris is incredible. He's a friend of the site, does great work. So this this book is awesome and well worth your money. If you don't win the prize, I would buy it anyway, and I would just buy it anyway um, if you're doing that right now. Just go ahead and buy it. We'll put a link in the, the show description. Then if you win a free copy, cool, then you got a free copy. But uh, I would go out of your way and check this out because this is a book you're definitely going to want to read if you're a fan of Japanese pro wrestling. Or if you're not, if you're trying to become a fan of Japanese wrestling, a great book to kind of detail uh, the history of the Tokyo Dome uh, and wrestling in the Tokyo Dome. So really good stuff there. So we're giving that away. VoiceWrestling.com slash G128Pick'em is how you're going to do that. You want to get your picks in before the 14th. Once that first show starts, the second that show starts, we are not accepting any more entries. So you can't enter after the first night. We've had some people that try to sneak in an entry after the first night. And surprisingly, Joe, every single one of those people always get the first night perfect. It's amazing how they're 5 for 5 on that first night when they put their pick up you know, a day after or whatever. So don't do that because I'm not going to count it. I'm going to immediately delete it. But you want to get your picks in there. Uh, it's a fun little contest, free to do. Uh, but yeah, I think one of the fun things that um, we do every single year, and I'm going to have an article hopefully up uh, tomorrow, or as, as most of you guys read this, it'll be up, or, or as most of you guys listen to this, you'll be able to read it hopefully that uh, that same day. 
uh, talking about some of the numbers, kind of the fun with numbers. Because one thing that's cool about this is we get you know 400 plus people that join this G1 uh, pick them right now. We're, we're we got we're definitely eclipsing. This is definitely going to be the biggest one yet. I don't know if we're going to get to 500, but we have a lot of people in there. Every day I check, every time I check, there's like three or four more people getting in there. So it'd be really cool if we do get to 500. But as it stands right now, we're we're you know well over 400 people that have have entered in, given their, us their picks. And what's fun is to kind of look at some of the trend, look at some of the things that are sort of happening, what people are picking, you know, what sort of matches, what what guys that are emerging, you know, upsets that are emerging, different things like that. So what we're gonna do, I think, really quickly, is go over some of the shows that are coming up pretty recently, and then what people are picking, and sort of see how we think about that. And then we're going to go to the big things, the G1 main event, the, the, the G1 you know champion, the A-block champion, the B-block champion, the overall G1 winner, and talk about what we think. Because it'd be excruciating if we went like match by match, and, and you don't give a shit what I think, who I think is going to win. But I think you're going to care who we think is going to win the entire thing. So we're going to do that here in a sec. But uh, just going to give you an idea. So obviously, as I said, it kicks off July 14th at G1. Uh, A-block. So this is the first night for the A-block. Uh, pretty interesting matches here. We got Togi Makabe and Yoshihashi, Bad Luck Folly, Hangman Page, Michael Elgin, Evil, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Minoru Suzuki. And then your presumed main event is Okada versus Jay White. So kind of interesting to see the the what people are selecting right now and kind of the favorites that are emerging. Uh, for the first match, Makabe, Yoshihashi. Uh, Makabe, 66.8% of people think Makabe is going to win over Yoshihashi. I would tend to agree with that. I think Makabe probably will win that one. Uh, Bad Luck Folly, Hangman Page. 70% of people have Bad Luck Folly in there. I probably agree with them too. I think that's a pretty good pick. Uh, A-Block, this is an interesting one. I'm not quite sure. And I'm kind of curious on your thoughts. Uh, Michael Elgin versus Evil. 69% of people think Evil is going to win. Uh, Michael Elgin's been a little hit or miss uh, in New Japan lately. Do you think that should be as high as it is? Evil 69% over Michael Elgin? Or do you think there's a chance Elgin walks away? No, and the first night is always the hardest to predict, too. So they always throw a bunch of curveballs at you and those sorts of things. I, I It should be closer to 50-50 for sure. Yeah. Uh, this one's actually interesting, speaking of closer to 50-50. Uh, Tanahashi and Minoru Suzuki. So you have Hiroshi Tanahashi is emerged as the favorite right now at 57.1% of people uh, thinking he's going to win. 40.1% for Minoru Suzuki and 27 call a draw on the night one. I always love the amount of draws that are picked. I, I, I looked it up. I think there's been five draws <laughs> since like 2012 in this tournament, like total. And they're always like big time matches and big time main event matches or whatever. They're always like involving Kenny Omega or whatnot. But people love their fucking draws, man. Uh, thoughts on this match coming to a draw? Tanahashi Minoru Suzuki, night one. They're not having a fucking draw. <laughs> People love them. People pick the draws, man. They're not having a fucking draw. It's not happening. <laughs> no shot. You're crushing dreams. There's like, there's one guy I think I'd have to look him up. I don't want to shame him publicly. Uh, we, we have we have time to shame people publicly here in a bit, but I was one guy. I think he called like four or five draws. And I wanted to tell him like, man, like look at the like. There's been five draws in the last like decade. <laughs> like I don't think they're gonna have five draws in this yeah. tournament. But people do them because they're they're easy to kind of because people kind of work themselves backwards. And I do this too. We have the cheat sheet that's available when you when you go to hoistrising.com/slash g128pickem that lets you sort of see the scoring as you're picking matches. And that's how I kind of do too, because then it's like, ah, shit, like, I don't want Bad Luck Folly to have 12 points. That seems like too much for him. And then, like, you look back and you're like, well, I don't want him to lose, so ah, I'll do a draw. That's a nice, easy way to get, because you basically want those numbers to kind of match with w- what you think they're going to be at the end, and the guys kind of fit in their hierarchy or whatever. Sure. So people do the draws, but it's like, they don't, they're not, probably not going to draw. <laughs> like, if, you, if you're going to pick a draw, really think about it, because it's probably not going to happen. But, you know, pretty fun there. But, um... Now, this is kind of interesting. I think we kind of influenced this, so I hope it doesn't blow up on everybody. But I don't know if we influenced. They kind of influenced this one. But for the main event, Okada, Jay White. Jay White, 73.5% of people say Jay White is winning that first night, 25.3. With Okada, 1.2 is the draw. We're not going to draw uh, bury the draw people again. But uh, Jay White, 73.5. Are you surprised by it being that high, or do you think it almost should be higher? Because we, I tend to think it's a shoe in You tend to think it's a shoe in I think everybody, 
that's following the product seems to think that it's going to be a shoe in But yeah, I was kind of surprised that as many people uh, went with that as their first pick. I think people are catching on that they like to give you the big shocking upset night one. And this is just a, you know, blaring neon sign for the big, um, you know, night one upset. It's just the perfect scenario for it. So I'm not surprised at all that Jay White's the heavy favorite based on our, uh, our sample. All right, so, uh, July 15th, you got Tomohiro Ishii, Toru Yano, Juice Robinson, Tamatonga, Hiroki Goto, Sonata, Kota Bushi, Zack Sabre Jr., and then Naito versus Omega. That's a hell of a show right there, man. Jesus it's an incredible Christ. incredible show. God damn. <laughs> That's like the first two nights. Like, I'm already exhausted. Just saying that one. That, that night alone, July 15th, is exhausting. So uh, some of the favorites, really quickly here, Ishii, 70.6 over Toru Yano. That makes all the sense. Then again, Toro's tough to call because he can, as we said, he can win or lose almost any match. doesn't matter. So he could beat the – yeah, I, who the hell knows with Toru Yano. Uh, Juice Robinson, Tomatonga, Juice, uh, 66.6%. I'm kind of fascinated to see if I, – I wish I had tracked this a few days prior to see if Tomatonga now with new entries are going to rise up a little bit because I think there's a chance – not this match because I think Juice Robinson is a champion, so they're always going to in some ways protect the champion a little bit more. But I'd like to see overall in the tournament if more people are are, are, are picking Tomatonga moving forward because I think – after that angle that we talked about in the G1 special, there's a very good chance that he gets a lot more points than people thought. Like, there was a legit chance he was at two or four points or whatever before that angle happened. Now there's zero chance in hell. He's going to be not winning it, but I think he's going to be in the mix in some form or fashion. Tomatonga's points are going to jump. There's no question. I think people who filled it out before the angle um, uh, should fill out another one. Um, <laughs> no, point, they're not allowed to, Joe. <laughs> his, his points are going to... I don't know the fucking say that. Uh, <laughs> what do I know? Uh, his I mean, they can point, make a new email and a new. They, I mean, no, that, that, no, don't do that. No, don't listen to Joe. Joe's wrong. <laughs> his points are his points are undoubtedly going to jump though. The one thing though, you mentioned Juice Robinson's a champion. I think my bit of advice to people would be: don't get wrapped up on the idea that every time a champion loses, that it's setting up a title challenge. I think people get right, right. Way I just more mean that he's up. gonna he's not gonna lose every single match. I mean, they gave him a title, so he's probably not gonna go over. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that he's setting yeah. up future title matches. I'm saying. Look for him to win a, a few more matches than. Oh, he I might know what you're otherwise. saying. Yeah, 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 no, absolutely, I agree with you. But what I'm saying too is a lot of people get wrapped up in. Well, if they lose, that means this person has to get a title shot. Right, and I don't right, think right. they're going to give this person a title. It's not. It, that's not any kind of law or rule or anything else. You can lose matches as a champion, and sometimes it sets up a title shot. I mean, selectively. The here's the rule of thumb for that. The bigger the G1 show meaning one of the first two nights or when they go to a major building or one of the final few nights, the more of a chance there is that a champion losing sets up a title shot. When it happens in a village show somewhere in the middle of the tour uh, that, that nobody's watching, that might not necessarily set up a title shot when Toru Yano rolls up Hiroki Goto. Okay. That doesn't mean <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, he's not obligated now to face Toru Yano in the future. That's right. It's usually on the higher profile shows where they set up those sorts of things. So uh, I wouldn't get bogged down in that. If you're trying to predict it, don't get bogged down in the idea of, well, I don't think Tomatonga would get a U.S. title shot, so I'm going to have now. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to get one. Right, right. Uh, what are the other, where, where did I scroll? Down? Okay, yeah, oh, sorry, yeah. Uh, Hiroki Goto, Sonata, 55.5% uh, have Sonata winning that one, and that's a good example as well. Just because Sonata wins does not mean he's going to get one. He might, this is a potential one, Oda City, uh, you know. Sure. Jim, that's a pretty big one. So that might be a pretty interesting one. So so I could see Sonata maybe even being a little bit more of a heavy favorite because that seems like a pretty fun match uh, in the future as well, Goto versus Sonata. But Sonata just barely above as a favorite right now. Uh, this one was pretty close. Kota Bushi and Zack Sabre Jr. Kota Bushi, 55.8%. Zack Sabre Jr., 
42.5%, also 1.7%. I think he's going to draw as well. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then your main event here, Naito against Omega. I was kind of interested to see this. Uh, Naito, 62.3% of Naito winning, 29.9% of Omega winning, and then a huge mark, 7.7% think that they might have a draw here on night oh, two. Oh, pick a side. <laughs> not having a draw. You're so upset but, uh, about this. I love it. Again, yeah, these first the first night of the block is where you're going to see usually a big upset. So uh, could the champion lose? Yeah, absolutely. I could see that uh, for sure. So I could see why people, why Naito is the favorite there. Yeah, yeah. And I'd probably go with that as well. I haven't made my final picks yet, but I could definitely see Naito, uh, me, me ending up with Naito there. Uh, July 16th, I uh, got Yoshiashi and Evil Evils emerging as a pretty big favorite at 86.8%. Michael Elgin, 57.9% over Hangman Page. Okada, 64.5% versus Bad Luck Fale. Uh, let's talk about that one real quick because I think that's another one, at least in my mind. I'm all in on Bad Luck Fale winning that match. I have Okada going 0-2 for sure in this. And Bad Luck Fale is the perfect guy to beat Okada. We've seen it before. Fale is a guy like Toriano. He's a monster. He can beat anybody and lose to anybody. This screams Okada 0-2, right? I think Okada's losing at least the first two. What if Okada goes over? I'm betting that. I'm actually going to guess that now. It's my new pick. Okada just goes over. He just ends the tournament. No wins. He just doesn't win ever. That'd be something else. That'd be a really, that, you know, that'd be a pretty awesome story. You know, if you're gonna lose, lose like historically. Lose like just he's completely lost. Like he just has no idea what's going on anymore. He's, I, I would actually enjoy that. I'm gonna I'm not gonna pick it because that's ridiculous and I would never do that. But um, I kind of like that story. I'm, I'm kind of I don't know. That'd be how many balloons would he come out with if he lost every? Oh, okay, whatever. Uh, Togi Makabe, Minoru Suzuki, eighty-six point three percent have Minoru Suzuki. Togi Makabe is having a rough tournament here, I think, and and people have really bet against Togi Makabe a lot. I mean, there is n- almost nobody betting him for almost any of his matches. So it's except kind of funny one to guy, see that. yeah, except for that one. Well, we're gonna get to him in a second because there's one guy who's all in on Togi Makabe who may be Togi Makabe. We're gonna shame this man in a second. Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Jay White. Jay White at a sixty-eight point eight percent favorite, and I think that's pretty. Uh, Pretty rational as well. I think Jay White's definitely 2-0. Uh, and I think wins over Okada and Tanahashi uh, seem pretty likely. I mean, that's a great way to elevate a guy uh, pretty immediately. I think that, um, especially since he lost to Tanahashi the first time, I think you're on to something. I think this is classic Gato booking on the on two very high-profile shows early in the tour to have Jay White beat Okada and Tanahashi to make a statement for Jay White. I think that's uh, very likely. All right, so move on to uh, July 19th. Uh, this will be the Thursday. This last one we'll do, and then, of course, we'll pick this back up because we'll be recording the f- uh, flagship, hopefully, around that time. Uh, this is for the B block here. you got Sonata, uh, 64.1% over Tamatonga. That's, again, one that I think is probably going to move a little bit now that Tamatonga has been involved in angle because now it's very li- – I mean, I, I would be with everybody on Sonata winning, but I think now there's a little bit more chance that Tamatonga takes up that win. Uh, Toriano, Zack Sabre Jr., uh, 83.5% have Zack Sabre Jr., Juice Robinson, Kota Ibushi, 85.3% on Kota Ibushi. Uh, Tomoro Ishii, Naito, 74.8% have Naito with that. Uh, and then your main event, Goto versus Kenny Omega, 93.2% with Kenny Omega. Anything surprise you about any of those numbers? No, I think Omega um, will probably lose the Naito, which, and, and so he'll beat Goto. Um, so I could see what people are thinking. There. Those, all, those all line up for me in terms of the proper favorite. All right, and now some fun stuff here. This is uh, pretty interesting to see the block favorites, people that think are going to win, people that are going to uh, run up, the eventual champions. Just real quick, we always kind of like doing this, kind of see where people are at. Uh, as far as the A block, the uh, emerging favorites, Okada at 72.6% among our 400-plus participants. Uh, Jay White, 12.4%, so a lot of people on board with you. 
uh, in terms of the Jay White. Tanahashi at 8.8%. Minoru Suzuki at 32 And then Evil at 1.7% of people. And, Joe, as you sort of uh, alluded to a little bit, there is one person who we assume is Togi Makabe that has Togi Makabe winning the A block. So, Joe, I ask you, should we shame them on the air, that person? I say we name the person who thinks Togi Makabe. Okay, let me let me see if I could find him here. Let's 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 go. A block. Now, winner. while you're looking for that, I will say sometimes one of the block winners does come out of left field because, as we've talked about a million times, that G1 final show, Budokan Hall this year, um, not not Sumo Hall, bigger building, but regardless, the G1 final show always sells out in advance, so it doesn't really matter who you put in the final. So you can have, you know, obviously your winner is going to be a big star, but they can beat a lesser star coming out of the other block. Well, like we saw with Hiroki Goto a few years ago, when Kenny Omega beat Hiroki Goto in the final. Um, Doesn't matter, show's sold out anyway, big show, big stakes. Togi Makabe, though, coming out of a block with Okada and Jay White and Tanahashi and Suzuki, not forget it, no shot. All right, so he has Togi Makabe versus Kota Bushi as your G1 final, which I'm all, you know what, I'm, in, I'm on board for it. I'm on board for the Togi Makabe redemption story. Uh, this this man is Niv Aliv, or Aliyev. I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce your name. I looked at his Twitter account. He has nine tweets, and he's following three people, and it's a locked account. This could be a Russian bot. I'm not quite sure, but he has Togi Makabe and Kota Bushi as your uh, G1 main event, and I'm kind of all in for that. I uh, I enjoy that. So good luck to him. I mean, hey, you know what? Everybody else is picking one way. He's picking his other way. And for if Togi Makabe goes to the fucking G1 main event, this man's coming home with a hard copy of, uh, of Eggshell. Listen, so more power to him. This is a guy that takes a 12 seed to go to the final four. Right, exactly. And then if they like, do, you know he wins If it the blows up, money. no one's going to talk to me. If it blows up, I'm going to say, yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah, I thought Harvard was going to win. They didn't win. But, man, if Harvard goes to the Final Four, this ass is walking into that store saying, I told you Harvard was going to win. And this guy is waiting for the Togi Makabe redemption story. Because right now, if Togi Makabe loses, he's going to go, ah, you know what, I, I just thought, you know, let's change it up a little bit. But, man, if Togi goes far, he is going to be telling everybody. He's going to be at the top of that leaderboards bragging about how he told you. He said that Togi Makabe was going to win this G1. So, I like it. It's bold, Niv. I like it. He's going he's gonna to unlock that account. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, those followers. He's he's only following three people, only nine tweets. That's gonna that's gonna increase quite a bit over the next uh, few weeks if the Togi Makabe redemption story does happen. But uh, a block runners up. So here's uh, who they have uh, people just finishing out of the winner spot. Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, thirty one point three percent. Jay White, twenty four point seven percent of people. Uh, Okada, nineteen point one. Suzuki, Evil. So basically, your same guys. So the favorites: Okada, White, Tanahashi, Suzuki, Evil. Uh, Joe, where do you stand on the a block? I know you've you've kind of alluded to Jay White, if you had to pick under your head, are you going with the Jay White winning this block? Well. The guns to your head, Joe. You no, gun to my out. head, I'm picking Okada. Uh, I, you know, gun to my head, I'm picking Okada to win the tournament. But I, I do think Jay White, like I said earlier, has a legit shot to make serious noise. I think he yeah. could win a block. Um, And it wouldn't, totally stunned me if he won the whole tournament. I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't be completely stunned. But I think he certainly could win the block, especially with the way the final night lines up. But yeah, yeah I mean, I, it'd be foolish I've, not to I've take started to buy in. Yeah, yeah, no. I'm, I'm, if you're like a betting man, Okada's probably the best way. But I've sort of built up a little bit in my head where, where initially I was like all on board with the Okada redemption. It, it made all the sense in the world that Okada won that. I'm starting to look at it a little bit more, and I'm looking at the A block and sort of doing the matchups in my head. 
you know, you, you alluded to this many, many weeks ago, but like, it's not out of their own possibility that Jay White wins this block. Like, and it's, it wouldn't be crazy either. It's not like he has to go over a bunch of hurdles. Like the B block, there are hurdles. The B block would be pretty interesting to see if Jay White won that one. But this one, man, you got to beat an Okada who's, who's struggling and a Tanahashi who Jay White is probably going to beat earlier in the tournament. And Jay White, who arguably is, you know, his arrows pointed up while Tanahashi's kind of in the middle or pointing down. And then I don't know if Suzuki evil. I mean, are the other guys that people have winning? I mean, I, I don't, I think it's nuts to have Jay White. I, I, I'm surprised there's not more people that actually pick Jay White other than the 12.7. So yeah. I don't know if I fully convinced myself of it, but like to me, I think it's 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 a two horse race. I think it's Okada or White. And the more as we're getting a little bit closer, as the days are getting closer, and after that G1 special, him losing the title in particular makes me think, man, he's opening up. Like there's no reason for him to lose that title unless he's opening up in some way. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do it, but you're not nuts. You're not nuts by picking Jay White there. I mean, he's he's definitely in the mix for sure. Uh, B block, you have a few uh, big kind of favorites, but I think four guys are sort of emerging. Uh, Kota Bushi right now is the heavy favorite at sixty four point three percent of people having him. Uh, Naito at twenty three point two, Zack Saber Jr. at eight point one, and Kenny Omega to win the uh, B block as uh, the champion only uh, two point seven as well. Just a few other ones before we get over those. Uh, three people have Ishii winning the block. Two have Juice Robinson, and one Tamatonga. Which you know, now that I think about it, might not be totally crazy. Like kind of crazy. I. Probably not winning the block, but you know what? Not that nuts. I don't know if that person submitted it before the G1 special or after, but that's not that nuts anymore. Well, I mean, I think the tournament winner is coming out of the other block. So, I mean, I could see, look, they never book Ishii well in this thing, but he's the perfect guy to put in as somebody's final opponent if he's just there to lose. Because it'll be a great match, because he always delivers a great match. He always delivers a match that fans get behind, and he's a great guy to beat. Um, you know, Tamatanga. Yeah, it's not insane, especially if that block is going to lose. I mean, it would have been insane to say before the angle. Now it's just crazy, but it's not insane. Um, <laughs> right. I think that's a good. It's a great way to put it. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I'm a little surprised that Abushi is the runner. I think Zack Saber Jr. has a better shot to win the block than Abushi. Um, because I think that they're behind Zack Sabre Jr., and I think he's a contract guy, and he's clearly someone who they're going to get behind strong. Whereas Abushi is just, you know, floating in, and who knows if he'll be around. And you know the issue. Abushi is like the new Shibata in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, he used to, no, Kota used to be the old Kota. I mean, everybody would pick Kota. I mean, yeah. we, we used to laugh about that. We'd be Shibata and Abushi. We would come on the show every time we did the pick em and say, I, what is with you people? Their Shibata's not winning, and Abushi's not winning. And I come to these again, and I look up, and I'm like, you know, this is probably the most logical year for Abushi to have a good run. But still, I just don't, until he commits, and what, this company is all about commitments. We've seen that time and time again. They very rarely will just let a guy emerge if they haven't put pen to paper, you know what I mean? Especially give after the WWE, you know, after they kind of rated their, their roster, they're just, they don't usually get behind guys that aren't, you know, pen to paper, new Japan guys. And especially as floaty as Kotobushi is, you have him book and like, yeah, you in a perfect world, Kotobushi would win the block and go on and, and do the rest of kingdom. But you don't fucking know if he's just going to go wrestle dummies. You know, if he just gets bored and decides, ah, you know, what, I'm going to go on a cruise ship and wrestle dummies. Cause that's not a, out of the wrong possibility. Kotobushi would just get bored and go do something. Because well, he's, he's done that before. Like they're seeing, they're seeing Abushi matched up with Omega on the final night of the block, and figuring that Abushi wins that to spoil sure. Omega. Because Omega's not winning the block. There's no point. So th- that's why, because they figure, all right, well, if he's beating Omega to knock out, because they're not going to knock out Omega before the last night. So you figure Omega has to get knocked out on the last night, and in order for that to happen, he has to lose. So and, they, and his opponent is Abushi. 
So I could see where people are coming from picking Abushi because he's going to beat Omega on the final night of that block, which is going to be pretty insane in Budokan Hall, Abushi versus Omega. That's going to be crazy. Um, but I mean, I don't think they would put Naito in the final unless he's winning. I don't think they're putting Tetsuya Naito in the G1 final to lose. Um, which is why I think Zack Sabre Jr. has a realistic chance to come out of the block, because I do think the block winner is coming out of the other side. So, um, yeah, I, I, I would say either Abushi or Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, would be my pick to win the block. But I could totally see the mindset of why people are picking Abushi. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of mixed on where I'm going with the B block. I, I like Naito emerging, but like you said, it's tough to have him lose in that situation. So I guess I kind of have to work out a scenario where... Let me tell you, if Naito's in the final, I think he's winning. Right. Regardless, and regardless of opponent. I and, and Naito Okada, with Naito winning and getting his win back from Wrestle Kingdom, would make sense. Uh, but but I do think if he's in the final, he's winning. I don't think they're putting him in the final to lose. Right, right. I'm, I'm between two scenarios. I think my two scenarios are Naito just goes and wins the G1 again and then goes and faces... You know, Okada in some form or fashion gets his title back uh, at Wrestle, before Wrestle Kingdom or whatnot. Or my other story is that Okada then wins this G1. And the thing that I think is, is, is potentially going to happen and probably what I'm going to end up picking with this thing is that some way Naito beats Omega before Wrestle Kingdom and then it's Naito defending the title against Okada at Wrestle Kingdom. But that's me under the assumption that it's going to be Okada and Naito at this year's Wrestle Kingdom. And that might right. be a story that they're holding up for the next year. So it's, it's weird. And that's the fun part about this G1 is like we can kind of come in because that's when, when you're doing your picks, you sort of work from Wrestle Kingdom back and say, okay, what's the main event of Wrestle Kingdom? What's the match? Who's the champion? And now who's going to win the G1 because of that? So, but which is the way we've kind of done it because the briefcase has not been lost before. But I like your idea that if there was any year to sort of throw a wrench in it, have a little bit of chaos, this would be a pretty fun year to do that. This would be a really good year because you, you don't have the established guard as a champion. You have Omega, who's a brand new champion that just won it or whatever, so it seems a little weird. You don't have Okada on a historic title run. You don't have an obvious story with Naito. You don't have a bunch of obvious stories. You have a, a lot of different stories. So this could be a year where, like, Jay White wins the whole thing and then loses, you know, as he's about to cash in or whatnot. So there, there's and, and, a lot of fun stuff theory. in that. And there is the theory. Like, look, everyone knows the big money match is Okada and Naito with Naito beating Okada. That's the big Right, right. Pocket. But there's the big theory, the prevailing theory going around is that maybe you save that for 2020 because the 4th of January falls on a weekend in 2020. And you can really save that match for where you could really pack that fucking dome. And so you don't do it this year, you wait for the following year. I think there's a little bit of meat on those bones. That's not the worst idea. You know, and it, 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 it saves you from going right back to the same match the next year. And in theory, that is a better idea to save it for a weekend. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, you take a break from that match for one year and do something with Omega this year instead while you still have Omega around. Because who knows? He could end up in WWE at some point. Um, Okada and Naito are likely never going. Um, you never say never in wrestling, but you get what I'm saying. It's far less likely that they're going to end up there. Um, so you know, uh, you know that's something to consider as well. But yeah, the idea that someone could finally win this year that ends up not main eventing, I, you know, whether it be I think Juice Robinson and Zack Saber Jr. would be the two best candidates. Not Juice Robinson, um, uh, Jay White. Jay White. And, and I do think, you know, this idea, I've heard some people say, yeah, well, if you win the G1 and you lose the briefcase, you end up looking like a geek. I don't agree with that. I think I think winning the G1 has its own cachet. Um, and, and you're kind of a made guy if you win a G1, and, and, and that means 
something, even if two months later you lose it at fucking Dominion or King of Pro Wrestling or whatever the fuck, provided that's a great match and you're losing to an upper tier star, which it's going to be since it's for the Wrestle Kingdom main event, you don't lose a thing. I don't think if Zack Sabre Jr. were to win this case and then lose it two months later to Okada, I don't think that's, I think that, that helps Zack Sabre Jr. That entire scenario that I just laid out does nothing but help him. It does not hurt him at all. It doesn't, you cannot be hurt in this company losing to Okada or Naito. You can't. Those guys can beat you and, and, and it doesn't hurt you. Provided it's a great match. And it gets taken to the limit. So I don't buy that for a second. I think you can win the case, you win the tournament and then lose the case and be elevated in the process. What do you think about that? No, absolutely. And I think especially guys like that, like an emerging yeah. guys, like yeah, I, a made man, a, a guy like a Naito, I think that would probably hurt him a That's lot. That's a bad a look. Like, I agree. Yes. Right, right. Yeah. But like... A Zack Sabre Jr., no. I mean, him winning the G1 would be a moment. That, that's what people would remember more so than what he did at Wrestle Kingdom. A, a, a Jay White. And, and you know what? For those guys, it's, it's motivation in the future. We've seen Naito, We've seen guys use big lo- losses, big, quote-unquote, embarrassing losses as their sort of motivation. And I think that'd be a great motivational tool for a guy like a Jay White who could, who could say, yeah, I won the G1. And people could say, well, yeah, you, you, you lost the briefcase or whatever. He goes, I don't care. You know, I won the G1. That's all. Because I mean, like, that's going to be the, the sort of the rallying cry. And then maybe he rallies behind losing it. And and rallies behind the fact that he lost the briefcase, and he comes back the next year, wins it. And so there's a lot of stories you can branch off of it, but I think this would be a really fun year to do it because I think you finally have those two guys that that if Jay White wins the whole G1 or Zack Sabre Jr. or whoever, it wouldn't – it'd be a great year for those guys to win it because I think they're, they're ready to do it. They've sort of been elevated to, to, to get to that level. And then if they lose it, I think it's a perfect year for that too because you can get to so many different big-time title matches and big-time matches without necessarily having – the briefcase holder be the guy that it necessarily has to be in that match. So I think that this is this is a ripe year for it. And I'm not saying that they're going to do it. They're probably just going to go with you know the basic story that they've been doing. But if they were going to get a little risky and ballsy, this would be a good year to do it. And and speaking of balls, like I, can you imagine? Like I could never say, hey guys, uh, Okada and Naito, ah, we're going to wait till 2020. You know what I mean? Like I would, yeah. I can't Im- not imagine the balls on on a because I would never be that type of booker. I'd be like, no, we're doing it like now. Like I'd be, <laughs> I'm not waiting. A two years to to blow off a story like I can't even fathom having yeah, the balls I, to do that. I've always been a proponent in most cases of if you have a money match, you do oh, it now. Yeah, yeah. I've you. always, in most cases, I've been a proponent of that. Um, you know, but New Japan has proven themselves to be very deliberate and very patient. Have they gotten burned? They may have gotten burned on never having a Bushi beat Nakamura. But who knows if that was ever the plan? Maybe the plan was never to have Ibushi beat Nakamura. Maybe we all just assumed that was going to be the case. Um, that's one that I can think of. Um, a lot of people think they were slow on the draw with Shibata, but as soon as he signed a contract, they pushed him to the moon. That was the hold up there. That wasn't like a, a, a booking decision. That was a Shibata decision. You know what I mean? Or, or, or a decision, you know, it wasn't until he was signed. So, but they are very deliberate. Look, they pulled this shit with the Okada Tanahashi story too. You know, with the one year where ever we all thought Okada was going to win the match re- where he he left the ring crying. Remember that one? It's like they made us wait yeah. for him to beat Tanahashi in the dome. Uh, you know, it, it's it's so it doesn't surprise me, but it is risky. It is risky when you have a big money match. Ninety percent of the time, my feeling is you just do it. Look at OTT. We just talked about it. 
Now, in that case, it's a little different because they have their one you know, big-time show a year. It's not like they have four shows a year where they're running a giant bill. So that, you know, that's probably a little unfair. But the idea is the same. You know, just, just do it and make the money and get it over with. But, but yeah, so uh, I definitely see what you're saying. All right, so here's who we have. Uh, this is our last thing here about the uh, the G1 champions. So here's who people have picked as their G1 overall champions. Uh, that was pretty interesting as well because how close it is. Uh, Okada is your favorite right now as, as we're recording this at 40.6%. Uh, Kotobushi, 32.5% of people have him winning the whole thing. Naito, 14.7%. Tanahashi, 39 And Jay White, 34 We also have three people voting for uh, Suzuki. Uh, seven for Kenny Omega. Five for Zack Sabre Jr., Two for Juice Robinson, one for Sonata, two for Evil. I think some of those other people are just kind of seeing what happens. And and maybe, hey, you know, <laughs> shot in the dark, see what happens. But as far as your favorites there, Okada, Ibushi, and Naito really effectively, your top three with Okada and Ibushi really uh, as your top two. What, what do you think about those? Any other guys that you think should be in that mix, or is that about right, or uh, or about what you would have it as well if you were sort of you know betting on this or whatnot or putting some money nah, on I just think people are underrating Zack Sabre Jr. in this thing, that's all. I, I, I think he has... Oh, you mean for overall, to like to win the entire tournament? Right, the, the whole thing, yeah, to come away with the briefcase. Oh no, no, no! I think that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think our, our, yeah, I think our, our pick'em people have the order pretty much. Like, if Vegas were to do it, I think it'd come out the same. Right, like Okada as as, as your favorite yeah, yeah. at forty percent, Obushi right there and neck and neck with him, and Naito. I think Naito being at only at fourteen point seven is probably a little low. I'd probably have him a little higher, but as as far as those three being your guys, I think that that's probably you know. The better yeah, betting line I, or whatever. I, I, like Jay White's fifth at, at, at three point four, which is a, a fun little kind of vanity pick. But yeah, overall, if you were betting, you would probably not have Jay White any higher. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, right I think there. I think the our pickers uh, got it right. All right, so that is G one. Obviously, we'll have coverage. Uh, Voiceofwrestling dot com. We'll have reviews. Joe, you are a madman because you have have you officially promised you're going to do daily oh, yeah, updates gonna, on the G one? Yeah. You're not. You're, you're a it. fucking yeah. psycho. You're so, a psychopath. No, I'm not a psychopath. Other sites do it. There's no reason we can't do it. Um, I'm going to find a way to get it done. The only question is whether... So anyway, I'm going to um, do audio reviews on the subscription side of every night of the G1, um, the day of the show. So, um, you know, um, the G1 matches only, obviously. So, um, you know, I've committed to that. It'll be on the uh, $5 level. So uh, subscribe now. I'm going to do every night. The only question is whether I'm going to put the uh, the television reviews, which I've been doing on Mondays and Thursdays, on hiatus, or if I'm going to be a true fucking madman and try to get those done too. Um, it's not so much recording the audio that's the issue because that's only watching. like an, <laughs> yeah, it's watching it because that right. recording the audio is an hour. I can go hide, um, you know, in 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 my office and and do an hour of audio every day. That's that's not the difficult part is watching all the G1 shows, keeping up with the G1 shows, and watching all of the six TV shows that I've been watching to do the TV reviews. And, you know, because those days where it's all the same day, it, it, it's, it's... So I haven't decided yet. So for the people who are li- listening to the TV reviews, and there's a lot of people who seem to enjoy those, um, I don't know if I'm going to put them on hiatus or I'm, I'm going to cram them all into one day instead of doing them twice a week, move some of them to the flagship, um, I don't know yet, but what I do know is every night of the G1 will be accompanied by audio on the subscription side. Maybe Rich will join me for one or two. Who knows? Maybe some special guests will join me for one. Might not just be Joe Lanza every time, but every single G1 show is going to be covered 
uh, for our subscribers on the subscription side uh, day of the show. So that's good stuff. So patreon.com slash voices of wrestling or voicewrestling.com slash Patreon, whichever one you want to do. I could, uh, you know, I could drag you out of bed for some of these weekend ones. Oh, for sure. Uh, bang oh, out some audio yeah. on a fucking yeah. Sunday morning, right? Yeah, I'm up anyway. Yeah, You could sure, skip yeah. church, right, Rich? <laughs> oh, right. Yes, of course. I'll have to see. I'll, I'll skip church for that one week, Joe. But uh, then I, I can't do it multiple weeks in a row, though. They'll start talking about me at the church. Yeah, your pastor. Your pastor. That I go to. <laughs> yes, right. Yes, that's what they call them, a pastor. <laughs> he would be very upset at me. He and or she, the faster that I have. Anyway, yeah, so that's patreon.com slash voice wrestling. Yeah, I'd love to join you on there. That'd be pretty fun. And, and yeah, it's it's an ambitious thing. There are other sites that do it. It's it's, it's But, you know, if you're just watching the G1 matches, it, it, it is a lot easier. It's it's a grind. I mean, it's going to be a grind, absolutely. But I think it's going to be awesome content as well. So I can't wait to see uh, what you do with that. So patreon.com slash voice of wrestling, voice wrestling.com slash Patreon. And we should say as well, when we're speaking about the Patreon, uh, coming up this weekend, Joe and Rich recommend matches to each other is coming back. One of our... Most well-received shows that we had ever done on the Patreon, the $5 tier, uh, was Joe and Rich recommend matches to each other. It is, as the name implies, Joe recommends a match, I recommend a match, and we watch them, and we talk about them. Really fun stuff. We dig into the history. We dig into the match. We have some laughs. We do some some really cool stuff. Really good. You know, however we want to sort of approach these matches, we don't really talk about it before. We basically give each other these matches and then not really give people a reason why we gave them that match, and then we sort of reveal that later, talk about some of the background of it. Really fun stuff, and our first one was super well-received, and we've been been itching to do another one so joe and rich recommend matches to each other uh coming back this weekend we're hoping to record it on friday so we'll hopefully have it up saturday uh at the absolute latest but uh, yeah patreon.com slash voice wrestling for that but uh you can get involved at this uh this time and on the joe and rich recommend matches to each other so here's what we're gonna do and we talked about it a little bit that we, we had sort of rumblings that we were gonna do this uh for the joe and rich recommend matches so i'm gonna pick a match joe is gonna pick a match and then we were also gonna have a third match that you our, our, our Twitter followers, our Patreon subscribers, that you guys are going to be able to pick. We have uh, elicited a bunch of matches from our forums, voicewrestling.com slash forums, as well as Patreon. Uh, collected a big list, and these are the uh, four entries that came in. Uh, the first four entries that came in from that thread and from you know our, our, from the Patreon thread and from the forum thread. So what we're going to do is, is put a Twitter poll up with these four. So these four matches will be eligible to be our third one. You will vote on it. You will do whatever you need to do to vote to, to let us know the match that you want us to review. So I will have my pick. Joe will have my pick, and then our third pick, I don't know if we have a, a good name for it either, the the third option, the wild card match, or whatever the hell it's going to be. These four matches, Joe, do you have the four matches ready that are going to be eligible on the Twitter poll that will be up by the time you guys listen to this show? Yeah, so... At Voices Wrestling on Twitter, I should say. At Voices Wrestling on Twitter. Yep. Uh, match number one is the King of the Road match from WCW Uncensored <laughs> 1995. This was between, uh, was it uh, Dustin Rhodes and Barry Darsow? Yes, yes. Very, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's option one. Match number two, Vader versus Ken Shamrock from WWF In Your House, Cold Day in Hell. Okay. Uh, option number three, uh, Nick Mondo versus Zandig from Tournament Ugh. of Death 2. <laughs> Now, Rich, if you react to these matches, you might influence the voting. That's true. I, that's true. Yes. Oh, good. Mondo versus Zandig. I cannot wait. I hope that one wins. And option number four, Veda Scott versus Martina from WXW Shotgun number 348. So those are your four options. The Twitter poll will go up. Uh, most votes wins. Very simple. And that will be the listener's choice of Joe and Rich recommend matches to each other. And in this case, the listeners will be recommending a match to us too. And uh, those will be your four choices. We'll have the Twitter poll up right around the time that this flagship goes up. 
So, and you'll have uh, about 24 hours to vote. That'll take us right up to the time where we're recording the show. So, uh, we will be doing one of those four. There is a thread on our forum. You can uh, put your match uh, nominations in that thread. We're just going straight down the list. Whenever we do these shows, we're just going to take the next four from the thread uh, in order. So any match that gets recommended in good faith, don't come in there being a goofball, okay? But any match that gets recommended in good faith will eventually make a poll at minimum. Doesn't mean it's going to win a poll and get reviewed, but it will make a poll at minimum. So there you go. Those are the first. Those are the four choices for this time around. Me and Rich love doing this show. So yeah, it's the best, one of my favorite shows to do, and it's something that we used to do a lot on the actual flagship. Ran out of right. time. Too much other shit happens. The wrestling world's nuts now, so now we have to do it sort of as, as a special Patreon. But something that we really, really enjoy, and, and people that listen to the first show loved it. Absolutely loved it. We went like three hours and some ungodly amount of time uh, talking about these. So yeah, we really dig into these, dig into the history, dig into the matches. Uh, really, really, yeah, one of the favorite things that we do on this entire website. So, yeah, really excited about that. And uh, I should mention as well, if you're going to be in that thread and recommending matches, try to keep it to just one match at a time. Uh, you know, there's some people that gave us like six matches at once. I'm like, all right, chill out. You get one match at one time. If you do six, we're probably just going to pick one from that six uh, to add to the poll because we're not going to let you just monopolize. The you hog in the you thread. Know? Right. Don't do that. Stop. Don't be that person. But anyway, Joe, uh, it's time for us to give our picks as well. A little bit of a preview for people that uh, what they can expect. On Patreon.com slash Voice of Wrestling, when Joe and Rich recommend matches to each other, comes up. Joe, what is your pick for us to watch? Okay, so Rich, you will be watching from August 13th, 1988, from the LA Sports Arena, Barry Horowitz versus Blue Angel. Blue Angel, of course, uh, is the uh, Owen Hart. Before he was even known as the Blue Blazer, he had a short run as Blue Angel before they tweaked the gimmick. Uh, this match is an underground classic among tape traders and tape watchers. It is available to watch on Daily Motion. So for you and for the listeners, because of course the listeners like to watch these matches before they listen. Sure, to the yeah, show. we definitely recommend yeah watch these matches as we're as we're as we're talking about them, and it makes it a lot more fun. To listen right. To. So you can find this match on Daily Motion, August thirteenth, nineteen eighty eight. Blue Angel versus Barry Horowitz from the L.A. Sports Arena, WWF. Rich, have you ever seen this match? I don't think I have, so awesome. that's fun. I awesome. have not. Yeah, I have not seen any Blue Angel. I've seen, obviously, Blue Blazer, but I have never seen any Blue Angel matches. So, yeah. Be fun to see. All right, and my pick for you, Joe, we're also going to stick with the WWF here. Uh, July 1st, 1996. This is Monday Night Raw number 166. It's the opener of this show, so you're looking for Monday Night Raw 166 on July 1st, 1996. Shawn Michaels, your then WWF champion versus Marty Jannetty. Right. And obviously, these guys have had many matches many years before. Uh, I'm not going to tell you why I picked this match, but there's some fun stuff in here that to really dig into. But uh, pay attention to a lot of stuff at this match. Do not watch this match on mute. Make sure you're listening to the commentary. Make sure you're listening to all the optics of the match. But Shawn Michaels, Mario Gennetti, WF Raw 166, July 1st, 1996 for you. Yeah, we don't like to talk about the matches too much now. We like to save it for the show explain go we go listen to the first one we did actually if you're a subscriber if you're not a subscriber go subscribe and you'll see kind of the format that we use we explain why we wanted the other guy to watch uh and then uh, we both talk about it and uh, we get into a lot of history and backstory we don't just do a straight review of the match so these shows are a lot of fun and uh the listeners uh if you want to watch the matches beforehand uh you know what the two are that we have recommended for each other and you have an opportunity to influence what the third match will be. With two WWF matches, uh, I think that's going to influence the voting. 
I don't sure. think people. Oh, I don't think people are going to vote for Vader and Ken Shamrock now. You never know. Um, you know, so I don't want to say what I think is going to win because I don't want to influence it any further. I want it to be or, as organic as possible. Um, but I'm open to watching any of those four. Um, I think it'll be a lot of fun to watch any one of them and uh, and then talk about them. But uh, I, I do think with both of us taking WWF matches, and we didn't discuss what we chose for each other before this No, show. we never do. We never do. We never do. We, I have no clue what Rich is going to give me. He doesn't know what I'm going to give him. Um, it just so happened we both picked WWF matches this time. So I think that that's a disadvantage for Vader and Shamrock. I have a feeling it's going to hurt it in the voting. I agree as well. Yeah, I, I think it's going to go. We'll, we'll see what happens. So anyway, that'll be on the Twitter poll at Voices Wrestling on Twitter. Uh, Patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling to listen to Joe and Rich recommend matches to each and other. And one more quick right. thing. If you're going to recommend matches, please try to make them easily accessible. Yes. Um, WWE Network, obviously. New Japan World, obviously. Um, it, you know, uh, it, it, something that's on YouTube or Daily Motion would be would be nice. Obviously, we both subscribe to the All Japan TV, even though the archive isn't very deep. So that would be something easy for us. Um, it, you know, if you're if you're if you're choosing something from an obscure uh, streaming service or something like that, look, we're not going to pay for you know, name your random streaming service. Just to, you know, try to try to make these or at least. At least if the match is super obscure and hard to find, provide us a link if it happens to win, if you're the one who recommended the match. Uh, don't make us search the ends of the earth for these things. The more accessible the match is, uh, the better. Global Wrestling Network, the Impact deal, that's shockingly has a very good free archive of matches. You know, if you want to pick something from that, you know, on, on, on the free side there. Um, but yeah, just try to make them as accessible as possible, just to just to help us out. Because I'd hate to have yeah, something. and not just for us too, but for the other people too. Because yeah, it's more fun if yeah. everybody can watch these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's no more fun, fun if, if it's behind yeah. some paywall. If you if you want to pick something from you know the the uh, you know marvelous Joshi pay site, no one's going to pay <laughs> right, for that to right, go right. watch it. You know, so you know make it something that a lot of listeners can watch, so that we can all you know uh, check out the match together. All right, and then we'll final. We got about uh, ten or fifteen minutes left on this show. We got two big, huge, giant TV, uh, big time event shows coming up here: uh, MLW Battle Riot and uh, WWE Extreme Rules. Joe, which one do you want to go over first? Let's talk about Battle Riot because I think yeah, it's, let's do it. I think it's interesting. It's an interesting lineup, and I also think it's not getting enough play. I mean, I know BN Sports isn't exactly the biggest uh, you know cable network around, but MLW is running a live cable special. On July nineteenth, and I really don't think it's it's gotten enough talk and enough hype. Um, obviously, I review the television every week. 